Good morning, everybody. It is a bright and early 7 a.m. here at Kafaro International. We have Andrew Munsell from Hamsky. Uh, what's the full company name? Hamsky. It's Hamsky Archery Solutions. Solutions. Hamsky Archery Solutions. And we got Aaron across from me today. So Hello. We'll go, go ahead and kick it off. Antelope coming up in a couple of days, so we should probably bust out the bows and start practicing. Uh, <laughs> that would be a good idea. I'll tell you that. Antelope starts on Wednesday, so. <laughs> Not to get off this, the we'll go into like Hamski and how Andrew and I know each other and what he's done with that company, but I have to bring up, there are some world-class pecker woods coming out to the archery ranges right now, like right before season, like three different arrows, duct tape for a knock, <laughs> like you just feel bad. <laughs> Not just for the person, but for the animal they're shooting at. I think I'd feel bad for the pro shops more uh, than anything. I, I feel bad for the sport. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. that too, yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, all of that is, it doesn't look great, right? Like, sell that shit to a non or anti-hunter that walks up to the range that knows these people are going to go hunting and they can't handle uh, the, the, the barn wall from the inside of the barn. Uh, yeah, I don't know about you guys. I don't know if this exacerbates the, the issue or the problem or what we're seeing. Uh, but the Colorado tags, you know, when they changed the uh, um, how you can apply this past yeah, the year. $3 draw. The $3 yeah. draw. I think uh, you just look at the numbers and um, there, you know, the number of people putting in has gone anywhere from two times to ten times. Right. And so you got a lot more people, which is good for uh, obviously, you know, buying the equipment. But now you got a lot more people that are trying to get into it uh, and experience and they're just, getting, you know, going to the box stores, buying the stuff, and start flinging arrows. When we've done a lot of podcasts, I did a bunch with when Frank was gone, and Frank and I have done some with everyone from Dudley all the way down to Dr. Ashby, right, mm -hmm. on front of center and arrow flight. And, and uh, the the one comical thing I get is on some of the uh, – and Dudley and, and, uh, and uh, Rogan both have told me, don't read the comments, say what you want. Fuck it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I told them both. I'm like, look, I have to read the comments because part of the thing's me helping, guys. I, I reply. But I, so sometimes you dive down the wormhole and, and some of the people on some of the things were like, you know, you and Dudley's podcast wasn't – was really dumbed down to the beginner. And it's like, well, yeah, if you already know what you're doing, you don't need any help. It doesn't even make any sense. Like – you know, you have to start at a baseline and what people don't understand and what I was trying to explain is there was truly and still is, especially with the whole front of center thing, unscrewing a 100 grain head and screwing on a 200 grain head and ready to head out in the field because front of center is a cure all in most people's minds. Right. And I'm like, look, at, it don't work that way. Like you, <laughs> there's some tuning involved. And and I'm sure like uh, obviously and, and we kind of skipped this. Hamsky, um, you make several different um, uh, parts, pieces, arrow rest things that, that basically make you a better archer, a more consistent archer, but your arrow rest is what you're known for. I shot it for five years straight. Yeah, probably. you shot it for a long time. Um, and it it basically is uh, one of the most, well, the most bomb-proof, probably the most adjustable arrow rest on the market. I don't think there's Thank anything you. more adjustable. Yeah, yeah, no, I, it, it is. Ex it, it's actually so adjustable. I'm glad you made a dumbed down version because some people it's, <laughs> it's straight up too complicated for, for some people on your, if, if you don't read the directions, basically. Yeah, and let's be honest, who, who actually reads the directions? You <laughs> well, <know? laughs> if the thing is though, is I don't have to read directions for anything, archery, any bow. I can, you're in the right. same boat. Yeah. You're, you're great at tuning boats um, or setting boats up. But 
if it's a car engine, I need some fucking directions, (laughs) right? Well, with a bow, I don't have to. And with your arrow rest, oh, this does this, this, bam, ready to go. I've had other people call me and be like, I pulled these screws out. I don't know what they meant. And I'm like, well, maybe you should have left them in there. Like, that's bad. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to save weight. But the the arrow rest, which there's um, more than one iteration now, but initially, well, you have a hybrid hunter now. Yeah. yeah, Which is the lighter weight version. That's right. Um, And I don't, the Versa rest was the original. That's the original. OG. That's right. Right. And uh, I actually, uh, I got a micro. Um, somewhere in the midst of me can obviously going through 45 bows in four years, but I, I prefer the non micro, um, because I just don't move it much. Right. Once I get mine dialed, I don't yeah, really have the, the micro tune is, it's nice when you're setting it up and you're doing your fine tuning and you're, you know, left and rights and you're up and downs, all that stuff. But, uh, to your point, when, once you got that all settled and you never move it. Yeah. Once no, I, once I, I get a bow set up. And it's shooting good. The microtune's nice to, for tweaking it ever so slightly, like when you want to move it half half a tick mark on a laser marking edge. Yeah. But man, once once a bow's tuned, I just shoot it. I yeah. Don't, I don't mess with it. Yeah, and you've got them on yours now. Yeah, right? I got a Versa S and two hybrid hunters. Kaylee's got my old Versa on. She's overbowed. Right <laughs> yeah. <now>. She's <laughs> got a pimped out bow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she likes to shoot, but yeah. she also likes at, you know, 17, you know, she also likes to take pictures of flowers and read books Climb and trees, up yeah. Instagram it up, you know, and then she'll fling an arrow every now and then. But yeah, yeah she's, I think she's got a spot hog side in a Versa rest and, uh, She's pimped out, right? Yeah, I mean, right, she's, right. yeah. And uh, she's actually, I think she's shooting your drop tine uh, or your old drop yeah. tine. And then Frank's, you got my other ones. Yeah, right? two drop tines. Yeah. 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 Um, which is just an index finger release. But yeah, Kaylee, she doesn't know what she has. I mean, not to get off subject of Andrew Munsell and Hansky, <laughs> but right. I gave Amy some Swarovskis the other day. Uh-huh. Now, I remember you, the first Swarovskis I ever touched was in the back of your truck, and you were very clear, all 160 pounds of you, I'll <laughs> fucking kill you if you scratch my Swarovskis. <laughs> and I remember looking through them thinking, whoa, it was, I well, we have to make this semi-clean, but it was the first time you ever do something as a young child. I was like, wow. <laughs> This is amazing. That's what you know, that is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. Right. I got oh. that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so she got uh, CL Companions or whatever. But I got a – basically, uh, Bart Lancaster dropped his CL Companions, took my ELs. Bad trade. Um, I did it also because I like him. Had to send them in to fix them. Gave them to Amy. This is how spoiled – my family is. She <laughs> forgot she even had them. Oh, wow. and, uh, <laughs> she's Where like, were they? In her bow case. She's like, you didn't give me binoculars. I'm like, I gave you Swarovskis. <laughs> I'm like, do you know what it took for me to get my first, first set yeah. of Swarovskis? Like side job after side job. Oh, yeah. But like, yeah, you're like the that, first uh, set. Like that camera lens. Oh, f- I still got my first uh, pair of SLC 830s I ever bought in 1995. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I might have been uh, still going strong. Oh, man. You know, you just... You don't abuse them. It's like anything, you know, last you forever. Yeah. You know, I abuse mine and they still last a long time. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we, we get them to, to test and, you know, yeah, yeah. I just sent my 95 in uh, the Hubble and they fixed it and they didn't, it wasn't like they were like, I sent it into right. a special friend and the, I mean, they just treat me like a customer and uh, 
that things went off some cliffs. I mean, that yeah. thing's like with my pack on and what ended up happening, I was so cold, I was pushing the button to take off the eyepiece and uh-huh. I have rain odds. I couldn't uh-huh. feel my thumb. Obviously, I went a little overboard. The button got stuck yeah. in. still worked, but yeah. the eyepiece would come off. So <laughs> fix that for me. But uh, yeah. But so the first time you and I met you, I met you through um, a mutual friend. And uh, this was actually, I was with the ex-wife. Um, so at 99? No, it might precede 99. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. And uh, I want to say, like, yeah, I have to do some math, and I never <laughs> do math in public. <laughs> really embarrassing, so. Well, this is when I first started shooting uh, more tournaments, and I remember I was asking you, like, I was trying to use a th- true ball, uh, George, or uh, uh, Chappie Boss? Chappie Dixon was yeah, using it at yeah, the time. Boss, yeah. And, uh I wasn't operating. Oh, was it, it a correct. thumb release? Thumb yeah, and a pinky. A, uh, what? Yeah. Thumb and a pinky. You use both. Oh, it didn't really? work. Now that I actually know what I'm doing, I can shoot really good. That shit's a sales pitch. No one's going to function that thing correctly. It's like, right. oh, one will go off or the like other. Like a pinky release. What the hell's that? Oh, yeah. You'd hook your finger up there and mm-hmm, yeah, punch it anyway. Well, your pinky can punch it just as fast as your thumb. Yeah. yeah. Well, Go ahead. Yeah. Your brain can punch anything. I'm just here to tell you. <laughs> Waste of experience. Yeah. Well, you went through target panic. Oh, yeah. Went through. You it's still a, have it It's now. a recurring theme. Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, yeah. And then I think I stayed at your house at a Cabela's tournament. Yeah, that's right. In uh, Tucson, Arizona. And uh, I think actually me and your wife did well. Uh, yeah, she used to shoot. She was uh, very competitive back in the day. It seems like she took third, and I think I took seventh in the pin class, uh, which was that was my first ever big tournament. I had shit running down both legs. I was super <laughs> nervous. Uh, it gets to you. Oh yeah, the fact that I had just, I hadn't even been shooting that long really, and and uh, I've I've with Frank now, you know, try, teaching him to like tuning and, mm-hmm. and everything else, and. Um, well, like when you shoot, sometimes you—I don't know if it's pressure or whatever else—but you know, you 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 know, grip the bow, put your nose in the string a little more, you peek, you do all oh, kinds yeah. of oh, shit. Yeah. Unless you're watching yourself on film that you normally wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's, now fast forward to 2012, 10. When did you, when you came out with Hamski? Oh, so we've been in business since 2009. Nine, okay, yeah. Because yeah, 10, so yeah, fly, 10 is when I flies. Yeah, yeah, 10 is when I put your rest on. Now, can uh, the name, because I get that, where that, and I know where the name came from, but can you explain where the name came from? Yeah, so uh, I'll just give you the, the way back time machine history. So um, Sean Greathouse, a good friend of mine, obviously uh, co-owner of Hamsky. And uh, we all know Tim Gillingham, the hammer. Those two got into uh, into ASA archery, and Sean calls me one day and says, yeah, I'm going I'm to go to the ASA tournament. You'll never never know, uh, guess who I'm rooming with. And uh, when, let me back that up a little bit. We had gone, I think, in 2008 up to Yankton to shoot the uh, National 3D Tournament. And Tim was up there, and I'd see Tim on and off. Uh, first time I met Tim was like in 1998, and I'd see him on and off at the tournaments. And uh, anyway, we go up to Yankton, see Tim again, say hi, all that stuff. <clears throat> then the following year, uh, Sean's like, "Yeah, I'm going to do all these tournaments," and you never guess who I'm going to, you know, uh, room with. And I'm like, "Man, I, you know, I have no <laughs> idea." I re- 
anyway, it was Tim. So the next thing I know, they do a couple tournaments. Next thing I know, they go, yeah, I'll let you in on a little secret. We're going to start a company. <laughs> and back then, I don't know if you remember, Aaron, Tim had been talking about an arrow rest that he wanted to come out with for about five years, you know. And uh, it's either you, you, you know, you, you do it or you don't. So I said, uh, I looked at those guys and went, do you think you need an engineer? <laughs> and uh, they said, uh, well, well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Tim said he had a guy that's doing drawings. And uh, you guys are living testament to this. If you, if you don't, if this is not your passion or what you want to do is your passion, it'll never happen. Right. Especially in the design and the prototype phase coming out with new products <clears throat> it has to be something that is just in you. Yeah, uh, otherwise, you stab yourself it, in the eyeball. Yeah, it, uh, you can't make someone care about what you care about. And if you're designing backpacks or archery equipment, if you don't, if you're not passionate about it, <clears throat> you're probably not going to get a very good product. Yeah. So that's how that's how the three of us got together and to the name. So once we uh, we got the trifecta established, we went to uh, we met out in uh, Grand Junction. Tim came over for a tournament, and uh, we were sitting in the hotel room trying to come up with uh, our name. Can you know we're you know peak peak archery, uh, Rocky Mountain. You know we were all the normal, all stuff. the normal we stuff. Go through the same thing on packs. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> like, that's stupid, you know. And uh, well, when we also went on a, an elk hunt, uh, Sean. Tim and myself. Did Tim sprint past you ever, then fall over, have a heart attack, get back up, go really fast again? Well, hold that thought, and okay. I'll give you give you some <laughs> give you some beta on that one. Uh, but anyway, we uh, we went on an elk hunt in 2008. Also, I think we so we went to nationals or uh, yanked in, and then we hooked up on the elk hunt, etc. Anyway, so when we're on that elk hunt, this is all coming down to nicknames, and everybody knows Tim's nickname is the Hammer. And Sean's nickname, we didn't have a nickname for him. So we're in, we're in Idaho and we're elk hunting. And, uh, you know, Sean's actually a pretty laid back guy. So he'd be like, hey, let's, uh, where do you want to hunt? You know, where do you want to go tomorrow morning or this afternoon? Or where do you want to eat? And he's like, I, I don't care. I'm easy. And every time you'd ask him a question, I'm easy. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, your nickname is easy. Okay, we're just going to call you easy and put that in the corner and we're done here. Because my nickname is Skeeter. And I think everybody knows that, or most people. And so we're trying to name our company. And we're in, and, and uh, these names are just like, it's just not happening, right? You're like, man, that's stupid. That's retarded. And so then I just sat down and made it a true acronym. So I said, let's let's take the first couple syllables out of each of our nicknames and uh see what we come up with so i wrote ham then my nickname skeeter sk and then sean's nickname is easy so it came out to be hamsky h-a-m-s-k a true acronym which is a word made out of parts of words not an abbreviation i should throw this in you're one of the smarter men i know so what do you oh. do for a living like just so everybody knows uh I'm a I'm an engineer at Ball Aerospace. Right. So, so rocket scientist. <laughs> so if you got like you, the guy from Iron Will and Big Matt Fedig, you'd probably come up with a toaster that walk over to the butter and butter your own shit. I was talking. Know? I was talking to Bill at Iron Will at the uh, Phil's uh, uh, alpha bow hunting thing, and you know he he uh, he just got his patent awarded for his broadhead, and we were talking about patents and all that. We were geeking out on that crap, you know. Yeah. Yep. About what it. You know, anyway, I won't bore you guys with that crap. <laughs> I, what my, um, obviously I'm much less educated than all of you and I'm watching Bill trying to hang up his 
flag at yeah, the CBA. Yeah. And I'm telling Frank, I'm like, he's not going to give up. He's moving his booth space from one side to the other. And he, I can tell him like figuring out angles with strings. And I'm like, Bill, just don't worry about the banner, man. You're <laughs> going to have a heart attack over there, dude. But yeah. he uh, he's. It's funny because I am so wound for sound and, and I cuss too much and I'm very blunt. And Bill is very methodical, very grandfatherly speaking. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, man, I shot whatever. And he's like. That is a great story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, very, the way I describe Bill, he's very deliberate in, yeah. in his in his. He reminds me pattern. of the blue guy on uh, Guardians from the Galaxy. Nothing goes over <laughs> my head, I would catch it. <laughs> he's very literal. Yeah. Very, yeah. He's very deliberate. Yeah, he's a good guy, man. Oh, yeah, he makes a great product, too. And he's another, kind of like the Arrowrest. He spared no expense. I mean, he did... What he did and he, what it took and everything. You know what I mean? I mean he oh, didn't. yeah. I'm shooting, I'm shooting the 125 uh, iron, iron wheel broadhead right now. I so. got the 200s on, on mine. You got 125. 125, yeah, yeah. The solid. Yeah. I got 200, yeah. 200 solids on mine. That thing and, rocks. Uh, yeah. I've got three different types for testing. Thank God they all hit in the same spot. <laughs> <laughs> did some high angle shooting last night because I'm worried I'm going to miss that giant wide mule deer. <laughs> I can't shoot for shit close up. I just don't really? shoot enough close up. Yeah. I mean, I shoot at 40 probably between 30 and 50, 90% of the time. So yeah, I shoot a lot of fives on the three course at 18 <laughs> yard targets. I just shoot high. But yeah. how far were you shooting on the angle shots? From 50 down. Yeah. 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 God bless Amy, right? Poor thing, yeah. right? She gets drug everywhere. She's down there with a range finder and she's, you know, watching me shoot and I'm shooting off these cliffs just. Everything's more difficult with the recurve, right? It's just how it <laughs> yeah. is. And and um, yeah, I've been successful with it, but as you're successful, sometimes some of that shit's luck. And you know it's luck. Nobody else knows it's luck. Uh, like, but you're yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I plucked the string and the wind yeah. was blowing. It actually blew it back into the spot I was That's aiming. Right. So she's been, you know, whatever, drug along with me on all that stuff. But it definitely was easier. Well, let's talk about this because, I mean, the with the podcast and all the different people we've had on – when you when you talk about because you shot the Colorado nine right big nine yeah big nine right yeah. and then and you shot a ton of other stuff as well the big the hate mail I get and we get very little hate mail surprisingly enough well one is we cuss and <laughs> Frank talks about boobies um, <laughs> but the other thing is I'm alright with that yeah yeah I'm good with that yeah long distance shooting right oh sure ethical shooting we had uh, Levi on the other day mm -hmm. um, yeah and. I got a scathing email on top of the mountain about shooting stuff far. Then the guy only listened to one podcast, and and then he and he was very clear on animals move, and we all know that, right? And you know where where the line is drawn. So one man's forty, in my opinion, is another man's eighty, um, but because of a sheer number, meaning a guy could walk up that's shooting three different arrows and duct tape and doesn't practice, could walk up to somebody and say, my max set distance is 40 yards. And that other guy could say, that's very commendable of you. I'm pointing <laughs> at Andrew right now. Way to take a stance on not shooting far. Let's forget about the fact you suck. Let's right. forget about the fact you never practice. You put no heart and soul into this. You picked up your bow week before season, but you're ethical. Now we're going to go to Andrew, which let's say yours is 80. You're a piece of shit, Andrew, because you shoot 80 yards. Let's forget you've dedicated your life to archery. 
But you're right. a bad person. Yeah. You're going to hell. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Jesus must have been a bad email. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. It was and, uh, wow. But it, would you say that my analogy there is, is true? Absolutely. Um, you know, I've, I've been in and around archery and archers for a long time. Uh, and I've been on, you know, there's two sides to a fence, but I've been on all four sides, if you will. And whether that's on the um, shooter side, you know, everyone's trying to get sponsored and then being on the company owner side, which is, you know, I'm looking at all the people who want to get sponsored and then you have friends and et cetera. And you see all levels and I've attended ASAs and IBOs and over the years and you see all levels of archers, period. And there are some people you watch them shoot and you're just like, holy cow. Like you watch Levi shoot, there's some semi-pro shooters, some amateur shooters in Open A and Open B, even the bow hunter novice in ASA. I mean, they're shooting like 48 up. I mean, yeah. you can't do that if you don't have your stuff dialed in, right? So, um, you know, you watch those people shoot, and to your point, you're like, yeah, that. You know, if that guy told me he could shoot 80 yards, that was his effective range. I'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. Because, you know, he's posting scores or she's posting scores of 30, 40 up. That, that first tournament in Tucson, I, I shot because Bill was there. And I think uh -huh. it was Bill, Randy, a bunch of people out of my league. Mm -hmm. And I shot, it was a 46-yard bear. And I hit just below the 12. And I was like, okay, I didn't make fun of my <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was gunning for it, man. And, <laughs> and uh, there was five of us. And there was four 12s and a 10. I was the only 10. And they were like, it's actually 46 and a half, somebody. And yeah. I'm like, uh, oh, you're like, what? <laughs> I'm making Jesus Christ on his throne. What am I? I thought I was good, right? right? I mean, and I, I, you know, I remember how arrogant, I'm still arrogant now. I was really arrogant back then. And, and I, I was like, okay, this is a new level. I have, yeah. didn't oh, even yeah. know I was, I didn't know a human could achieve, right? And sure. I think, uh, who was the big dude that used to shoot, uh, Hopkins, Jeff Hopkins. Oh, yeah. He, he was still there. shoots, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I say you say, he was, at that time, he was, he was the, the guy to beat. No, he was the dude, and yeah. This, he was hitting shit that I didn't think was humanly possible. And, I mean, it was a real thing for me to, like, I need to go home and I need to take this serious or yeah. I need to treat it as a hobby. Because Absolutely. these guys are at a level that I've never seen. So that was the first time where it was somebody hit me in the head with an anvil and was like, hey, you're not very good, dipshit. You're yeah. not very good at all. <laughs> yeah, you go, uh, you know, I shot um, – in open A, ASA's amateur class, and those guys, top the top shooters, you know, there are these guys shoot year round. It is quite impressive to watch even the top amateurs shoot at, at that level. To your point, they're judging to the half yard all the time, you know, all the time. And uh, if, you know, of course, we all know these hunting situations are situational at best, but uh, just taking it on face value, watching someone shoot, you probably can um, quite accurately figure out what their effective range is if you've been around archery long enough. Y yeah. Well, and what do you, well, and this is good for like with Frank, because Frank, you've kind of been to where a couple years ago you were shooting, well, you shot your animal pretty far. And then we did some podcasts like with, with uh, some recurve guys and Frank's like, hey, you know, I'm going to try and get closer, you know, and me by the sheer nature of the weapon I'm holding, I have no choice, right? I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it has made me a different hunter because at 40, which I'm very effective at, I'm still like, you know, if I could just get a little closer. <laughs> Where before, I never hardly got to 40 unless it just happened. Like, uh, yeah. my goal was not 40. 
it just sometimes would happen mm-hmm. or it might could have been tin. Um, but with the like technology and, and, and tuning is a huge part of it. Um, meaning I don't think anybody may need to go to the level that the hammer goes to because you'll get a headache. <laughs> but <laughs> It You'll takes, never come out of that hole. Yeah. Never. I don't ever ask him a question anymore. I just never do. I, you should go to dinner with us sometime. <laughs> you talking about, it's like Sean listens and me and Tim, Tim and I talk. Oh, it, well, We just jabber back and forth. The, the thing like if you took um, 10 shooters and uh, they were all 10 equal ability, um, there's going to be two things. And this is more of a question. There's going to be two things that separate those 10. One is going to be how they hold their mud, right? I mean, that under pressure. The next one's going to be how well they know their equipment and how how well they've tuned it. Would you yeah, agree with that? Absolutely. Those are the two, yeah. the two big you, variables. Yeah. You talk, you talk to, uh, even like Tim's last, uh, uh, Facebook post, he said that, that the IBO world's Right. He just didn't have the mental strength at the end of the season to, to hang in there uh, and make the shoot down. Right? He shot a five. And uh, it comes down to that mental, that metal that you're made of mentally um, and the fortitude just to keep hammering through mentally. And that's a huge piece of it. Even even when you're hunting, I don't know if – I think you might have mentioned one of the podcasts. Most people – and I, I admire Frank. A couple, was it a couple of years ago, Frank? You went out for nine days. I think you shot yeah. that really nice meal there. Mm-hmm. And people don't understand. Uh, Frank went solo, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, Every you, year. When, yeah. when you don't talk to some – jump in here, but, you know, when <laughs> – Squirrel. Uh, yeah. If you don't if, – if you've never been by yourself for nine days and the mental strength it takes to walk around on top of a mountain by yourself – to keep going, it that is a, another level that people just do not appreciate and understand. My buddy Jay, uh, tall, tall Jay, yeah, <laughs> fist <laughs> bump. Not, not to pump Frank's tires up more, but Seriously. Jay called me on top of the mountain this last scouting trip, and 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 in Jay's mind, um, I'm the hardest individual he's met, right? And and I and I said, well, I'm hunting with Frank. He's like, can he hang with you? I'm like, yeah, yeah. he can hang with me. And he was, I was like. Honestly, I said, this guy is one of the hardest motherfuckers I've met. And you'd never guess from talking to him. I'm like, and I was telling him about you, like with, he, you didn't hit the search and rescue beacon because he's worried I'd make fun of him when he got <laughs> pulmonary edema because of Zach Griffith, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Zach scratched his elbow, hit the beacon. So that was, I like Zach. I just thought it was funny, right? I mean, you do dumb shit, you're going to get made yeah, fun of. I mean, right. true. And uh, he hit the beacon for dehydration. Frank's lungs are full of liquid and he hikes out. F- afraid to hit the button because we'll make fun of him. And and then I've done two 14-day stint solo trips that I'll never, ever do again. And Frank and I are going in for 15, and we're not together. We're separate, but we're – even knowing Frank's a mile and a half away, I'll, if I get bored, I'll go visit. Hey, right. buddy, what are you doing? Would you see anything over there? What's yeah. going on? Uh, and you're right. I mean, I don't think people understand, like, that sh- the show alone, it doesn't have anything to do with survival, in my opinion. The fact – when is the last time – I mean, you think about this. When was the last time you were alone for more than 24 hours? Probably no one has been. Well, today, you know, with the phones and everything, you get instant instant feedback, contact, uh, call it which I don't call it uh, conversations because that's what we're having to yeah. the younger, younger generation. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I went on a – this wasn't a crazy hunt. I went on an antelope hunt and uh, just was by myself for seven days, and it was – kind of wondering if I knew how to talk when I got done with it, you know, but 
uh, and then on that hunt, I killed my antelope on the last evening of the last day of a seven day hunt. You know, after blowing, I don't know, every stock, you know, I get like two, three stocks a day blowing every one. I mean, it's really easy to quit. And uh, you see that in elk season around here. You guys know this, right? Go out in the last weekend to some of these places <laughs> where, you know, you can, it's like a walk in hunt kind of yeah. deal. You can drive in, park your truck, hike up the mountain. First weekend, you can't even find a parking spot at the trailhead. Last weekend, it's like, what happened? It's just desolate. There's no one out there. You have the whole mountain to yourself. With uh, And I'm here to tell you, not everybody killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I talk about how much the Department of Wildlife likes Eastern hunters because – Oh, man. And I'm not – I don't want to hate male Eastern hunters. I'm just saying this happens. It's not – this isn't a theory of mine. I played college football. I've been training. I'm coming out. I'll go as far as it takes. It doesn't matter. I'm getting an animal. Two days later, you pull the magical knee injury. You're coming out. It should, it happens, right? I mean, it's just, you'll. Well, I'm just telling you, these, uh, the mountains beat you up. Uh, gosh, I'm, you know, I, the older I get, the, the more, the more I hate training for it, but it's a, it's an, uh, you know, it's a necessity. Just, just, and I live here just to get around. And I, quite frankly, I ran and said we were bear hunting. It was two years ago and we were coming off the mountain driving out and, uh, there's some guys there that pulled in. We saw them kind of, you know, wear glasses from the top of the mountain. We're like, what are these guys doing? You can tell they pull in. They do the circle figure eight. They drive down there and they do another circle eight and they come back and, you know, they run out and they come back and they park. And you're like, oh, okay, they're parking there. They must not know the spot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, great guys. And they were from, I think, Wisconsin. And uh, they came in their elk hunt. And I actually ran into them later at the ATA show. They're like, hey, you know, you're Hamsky. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. But, uh, you know, they said, yeah, we, uh, we hunted that week and same, same drill, right? After about three days, my, this one guy said, my guys were kind of beat up. You know, he said, we went to the other spot. I put them on a couple spots, you know, and that were not as crazy. Yeah. And, uh, they said that they were just thrashed after about five days. Yeah. That's what kind of, we were thinking the spot where we're going to be at, there, there may be some pressure, but generally from what we've seen is. You'll see guys in there for the first three days, yeah. and then they're gone. Oh, yeah. I mean, and again, this isn't when we talk about this, you know, and, and I actually don't get hate mail from Eastern hunters. They're actually very realistic when they email well, me. I admire like, those guys for jumping in a truck and driving 1,200 miles, right, and stomping up a mountain. I ain't, you know, man, I'm here to tell you, that's... Well, and they, well, they ask, like, well, hey, you know, obviously this is something that happens. What can we do to make it last? You know, and one, I'm like, hey, it's a marathon. Yeah. It's not yeah, a sprint. Exactly. And the one thing, like, we've talked about, like, with where Frank and I are going is, um, and I've told, you know, because Amy looks at this from a non-hunting. She didn't eat meat before she met us. She was basically vegan or what now we're eating moose every night or deer or whatever. But so she looks at it and I told her. I said, hey, if I if I don't end up killing a deer in this one spot, this is going to go nuclear. Like, this is going to be difficult. She's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm going to have to travel a lot farther, and I'm going to have to do a lot more. And it's with a recurve. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I said, it's going to take some mental discipline because there may be days I may not see deer there may be whatever and and she's like oh, is that big a big deal and I and and she's very inquisitive and I'm like look you don't understand what it takes for for Frank to stay back there 10 days I said you for one if you screwed up a lot in life which I have that haunts you for me that happens to me on about day four or five especially on rainy days you sit there and you think I miss my kid you know I, I miss whatever I should have done this and I 
I, I've brought this up on podcast before. I remember texting my ex-wife and just saying, hey, I'm sorry. I wasn't as good of a husband as I should have been. And she's like, what's wrong with you? Get off the mountain. And she's like, and she knew what was going on. She knew me that well. And she was, she, I'm like, look, I'm, I'm sorry. Like I should have been better. And, and it's made me a better husband now, but I'm like, I should have been better. That's what it does to your mind. Oh right? yeah. Well, you're, yeah. You're, I mean, let's be clear. There's only so many ways you can entertain yourself when you're out there, you know, and your mind does go in, uh, some, some strange places. Um, you know, I'd say that. You, when you look at the successful Eastern hunters um, that uh, that whitetail hunt, right? And they're the it's kind of the same to me. The analogy is you're in your tree stand, and the first you know you see first decent buck of the year. It's like right at a low book buck, right? But you're really trying to shoot a 160 inch deer, right? Because you 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 know you got it dialed in. You've been working all all year, all season, and you don't have the mental fortitude. Right to hang out for the 160 inch buck, and you <laughs> yeah. know that 125 walks out, and you just whack it. You're like, whack, yeah. and you're done. You're like, oh man, it's very similar to to have the discipline, right? To pace yourself. Uh, whitetail season back east, right? It's for like three, four months long, and uh, you know it is a marathon. Even everything, you just got to have. You got to be focused, dialed in, and set your goals, and that's another big part of it. Yeah, no, you're right. And I mean, uh, one of the reasons, cause you know, I used to shoot tournaments super heavy and I don't shoot them at all now is I realized that I'm a lot better at shooting animals, right? I just, I, I it's, <laughs> yeah. it's done very well for me in the sense of, um, you talked about the sponsorship thing, yeah, like that's yeah. everyone's get sponsors. That, and That's their trophy. Yeah. Yeah. And then later on, I kind of realized like, just after my divorce, I was like, <laughs> I don't give a shit about any of that, you know? I'm like, I just want to be in the woods. What am I doing, right? And and so then I sp- spent most of my life on the ground. And so I – but what I figured out was I, under pressure with an animal in front of me – not that I'm this great trophy hunter, but I don't, I don't choke. And shooting tournaments, there is – how would I put this? It's – it's not overly physically difficult or mentally difficult to go shoot a tournament. And by nature, that's going to add a lot of competition. But if you add nine miles in, 10 days on your back, stress, physical, you know, food deprivation, you know, sleep deprivation, and still being able to take an animal, I was like, you know, I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. I'm going to focus on that. And I like that more. You want to talk about draining the air out of blue, <laughs> miss, miss that animal after day eight, right? And you you will want to come off running off that mountain going, uh, I'm done. I'm toast. <laughs> well, and, I've never done that, by the way. Ever, ever. <laughs> well, and I was going to, that is where I found for, for me that I was like, you know, I've, I've, Wherever I've went, I've I've killed animals. No matter what was against me, I was always – and then I was looking at – you know, I was getting fatter shooting tournaments too, <laughs> yeah. Mountain Dew and shitting at the range. And so I, I, I – you know, I went that path. Not that there's one better or another, but what I'm getting to is when you miss or when you fall off a cliff or when everything you own is soaked or – I mean, I can add – when you have a thousand foot drop to get water or when a bear eats your food and you all of a sudden are picking crumbs off the ground, hoping you're going to sit some disease because that's all the food you got left. It's what the bear left. That is a different 
toughness. Um, and and you've done them both, right? You've sh- backpack hunted and you've shot tournaments. Oh, absolutely. But I don't backpack like you. This would be clear for the record. I don't <laughs> do what these guys do. I, I like to think I do when I'm out there, but you guys are the real deal. It, it Well, I mean, you've done it enough to know. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it can suck. And, and Oh, yeah. I think having a short-term memory is kind of key. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind, of like a, kind of like a quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. You throw an interception, yeah, you got to like, forget yeah, about it, it real off, quick. Man. Shake it off. It's good you brought that up because that was something Brian, gritty Brian, brought up is uh, – not to talk about me, 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 but he said, you have an uncanny ability to shake things off. And I'm like, dude, I, I've been through a lot, you know, and, and I said, and, and if you can't, it's going to be a problem. And I said, um, no brains, no headache, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Dead in the head. I, yeah. I said, I don't let things bug me for too long, whether it's guys talking shit on the internet or a miss or a wound. If you don't shake that off, you're not going to be successful or as successful as you could be. And, um, I, it was, it's this recurve, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> I moved, I'd missed the deer three times opening day. And then I like lowest of lows. I don't even know what I did. Right. I, I could, with a compound, I could generally, Oh, I did. Uh, yeah. I'm like, I have no Where idea. What was the pin exactly? Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. And then I did the snap whack master 2000 on the trigger. Pow, yeah. yeah. Right? Or I ranged that tree and he was eight yards in front of the tree, not three. And this, I'm like, I have three arrows in the buckwheat. I have no idea why. <laughs> I, and he's asking, I'm like, oh, I think this happened. I'm not a hundred. And then, uh, you know, back to the highest of highs, I shoot a deer at three to four feet. And it's bed with Frank. Didn't have anything to do with accuracy, right? <laughs> right, I mean, right. And then I wound an elk with with uh, with Brian, and I should have upgraded, is what I should have. I tracked that bull. I wounded, ran into like eighteen other bulls. I should have just shot one of them. Yeah. For the one time, I actually did. Some, I had a little devil on the one shoulder. Just shoot one. I had a little angel on the other one. Like find the one you hit. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about ethics. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I, I should have just shot the other one because my bull ended up being fine. But then you're lowest to lows, and I was like. Okay, I need to suck it the fuck up. It, <laughs> like I was like down, and I'm like pouty, like Eeyore. Oh, yeah. Your lips sticking out, you know. Like okay, oh, what yeah. do you do here? Like, and then you come to a moment where you've got a you have a choice. Yeah, Either you, you suck it up or you just you fold your tent and go home. Pick oh, one. Pick it, one. I don't care. Just pick one. Yeah, and I mean that was uh, and you talked about it too. Like when you're back there and you know what those those deer trying to get that one you killed as far as trying to stay. With on them, yeah, with yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay, look, I made this commitment. Don't puss out, right? right. Like, suck it up, man. And and so when I've talked to people to give them advice, and I, I'm sure Frank's the same way, it's not like a high horse you're standing on. It's the fact that you have fucked up so much in your collective of the – you're right. like, hey, I've been there. Yeah, boy, yeah. Got the T-shirt, man. I got a drawer full of those things. Yeah. Well, and, and you with, um, with what you've got going on, you know, now as far as uh, – I would imagine your normal job is high yeah. stress, right? And then you have Can your be. fun job, which is Hamski, that probably isn't as much fun as it once was, but it could be. I don't know. Knowing for here at Kafaru, there's there's good days and bad days. Yeah, um, it goes without saying with anything. And and I think uh, you've talked about before, you're the uh, owner, CEO, and then occasionally you'll have to clean the bathroom, right? You do yeah, everything. Well, I'm co-owner, let's be clear. Yeah. Sean, <laughs> yeah. Sean does a lot of heavy lifting too, right? He's the ops manager, so... Right. Everything that has to do with running, uh, you know, a functioning business. You know, you guys know this. I walked in here this morning, 
right? And you got people coming in and they're making stuff in the back, right? And there's a, I walk by a computer screen, there's an invoice with a big stamp that says paid. I mean, all the details and logistics are running a business. That's kind of what Sean does. And then there's the, there's the, you know, there's three legs of the stool of any business. You got to have the the operations, you got to have the resources, and then you got to have the crazy wild idea guys or yeah. people. Because without those three legs executing well, you're not going to have a successful business. And you can look at, just look at any business. Those are the three things you need. Yeah. And obviously you're the wild-eyed, crazy design guy. I'm not good at adulting, um, <laughs> yeah. which uh, adulting sucks. Man. Well, and I, I mean, you know, and I'm very upfront about that. My thing is, um, well, friendships and partnerships or whatever is one, but design, not because I was, went to college for several years. It's cause I've slept on the ground for several nights and, and <laughs> several uh, years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, uh, we, well, we have a guy upstairs, Bender, which we, some days want to kill him and other days he's right. our best friend. Cause he's, <laughs> he is the college guy. He's got some field experience, but Frank and I look at him on some of the things he does. I'm like, you need to sleep on the ground, buddy. Yeah, like, he, yeah. We're that, oh, you're putting a D-ring on there. Yeah, get that shit off. You don't need that. <laughs> I don't need to hang my water bottle from a freaking D loop or a little right from a D ring and have it waving in the back of my backpack. What do we call it? Benderizing it. Yeah, I was like, man, you bendered the shit out of that one. And and he's making me a pack right now that I believe I was very clear on top of the glassing point. I said you need to unbenderize it and you need to Snyderize it. I'm like, cut all that shit off. I was like, I don't want any of that. I'm going to cut it off anyway. So. And, and the thing is, is um, I think to have a good company, you need all of that, though. You need, yeah, you need it. That's yeah. for sure. Well, you you need a guy occasionally to say, yeah, that's stupid. <laughs> you know, you need that guy. You well, that, that's. I mean, you uh, you guys go to uh, your group of folks to help you test things on occasion, right? Mm-hmm. We do the same thing. We come up with new designs, new, uh, and we send them out to people and just have them thrash them. You know, and if you can't handle the truth, you probably shouldn't be in any business, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget the first time I, my first version of the Versa Rest. Yeah. I still have this prototype thing. It's, I think it's uh, probably the size of that audio box. <laughs> on the table. And uh, of course, Tim is the best and worst critic on the planet. And uh, I send it to him. I'm all proud of this thing. You know, I'd spent, I learned, if, I, I'm a, if people don't know, I'm an electrical engineer. So, had to learn mechanical engineering, the CAD software and all that stuff. So I designed this thing up really proud of myself, right? And he goes, you know, without swearing, he says, that is the biggest piece of beep. You know, I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, you just called my baby ugly. I just spent, you know, a year <laughs> designing this thing. And, and uh, you know, he, but he was right. Yeah. The thing was not even close, right? It needed a lot more work. Um, and what I thought was done, you know, I just, yeah, wasn't even close. Yeah. But if, uh, and I've learned this just through life, if you can check your emotions at the door and scrape off the delivery of a, a critique, yeah. you just get down to the content. Like what, what is, what is the message independent of how it's delivered? And maybe this comes from hanging around Tim too much, <laughs> but, uh, you're probably going to come away with a better idea and a better product at, at the end of that process. Yeah. And it's hard to do quite frankly. Yeah. No, it, it yeah. is. And what, one thing I noticed with Patrick that I, I learned it was a, one of the few negative things was you need to shoot a hostage. You need to get rid of products that don't sell. 
no yeah. matter how. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was a bloodbath when I started to take charge here because I looked at it from a mathematical standpoint. I said, print out the last 12 months of sales of everything we've got. That's right. And dude, the red tape started flying. And I mean, I'm getting emails. You're going to be the end of the company. I can't believe you killed the AMR. I'm like, we sold seven last year. I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> I think we're done here. <laughs> yeah. I think we're done. And uh, and then I'm like, what was the uh, the EMR? The EMR. I yeah. killed the EMR 11 pound pack, right? Killed the EMR. And uh, I we got had a, a number of pockets, just tons of pockets with not even names, just numbers, lock and load number this or number that. And it was hard to keep track of the, from a sales it, standpoint. Yeah, right. It, 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 and the, I, got a, a, I got a book from a guy that basically told me I was worthless and a horrible whatever. <laughs> and I said, look, we sold 589 EMR2s last year, the new one. We sold nine <laughs> EMRs the year before. I think we're okay, you know, like, and I'm trying to be polite. And that's one thing I've been, I've tried just to stick be to is, the facts, man. And I'm, facts. I'm like, these are the numbers. <laughs> and I said, and that's just how it's going to have to be because we're in the business of staying in business. That's and, right. And even though emotionally some people are attached to certain things, I get that. And I, I Hey, I understand where you're coming mm -hmm. from. And I said, one of the things is too, is our packs last a long time. Yeah. So when they do, you either have to come out with something new or eventually sales are going to go to almost nothing because you don't need a new one. Our error rest is the same thing, right? You, you said you still have the verse rest. How old are, how are they? Probably seven, five, six, seven. Si well, the one Kaylee has on her, I kept that one as like um, one of those. Uh, and I'm not like the most, uh, what's the word? Uh, what What is it when you're... Um, you save things. Uh, what the hell's a frugal? No, 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 Hoard, not hoarder. No, like when you emotional. What's the word for emotional? Um, like you're attached to it, right? Uh, I don't get sentimental? attached. Sentimental. Yeah, sentimental. I don't have very many that's sentimental. A, that's a lot of work. Get to that Jesus. one. <laughs> well, that's, that's what happens when you graduate with a one point eight, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, three sacks a game. No, I uh, I was like, hey, you know, I'm gonna keep this one, and just so I have it, and I gave it to Kaylee and. The, I don't. What I don't think people understand is that went on like nine different, ten different bows. I don't know how much, how many days in the field. I killed that big black bear in Idaho with it. Is that the one you killed your caribou with and moose on yeah, that? It, you it, were. You said you were thirty nine days out there. Oh, 29, no, 29? no, it was longer than that. It was, was sixty. It? Uh -oh. Jeez, man. No, That's but crazy. it wasn't. It wasn't sixty straight. I mean, it was sixty in the bush. Right. But I mean, I was. Uh, you know, it might have been longer than that. Uh, whatever, well, it was, I was a long time. Long time up in the NWT. I killed right. that caribou at a distance I'll never mention again because I can't handle the emails. But <laughs> I also killed that mule deer on that backpack hunt in 2012 with it. Um, so it's been around a while. To your point, right? It's well, the, the, It never yeah, broke. Right? right. I still have the pack that I bought. The original pack I bought from you was a DT2 on the bikini frame. Right? Yeah. I still got that pack. Yeah. This is uh again I got the other pack you uh you got me the uh the guitar. I know you guys don't make that anymore, but by the way, we need to talk about that. Well, and so <laughs> well, and on that note, cuz I know what you're going to say cuz we're in the same boat with Frank and I's favorite pack was the Argali, the bigger uh -huh. version of the Tar. Yeah. It just didn't sell. It didn't have enough uh, cool I, features. I in guess it. not. <laughs> I, I was talking to Corey uh at Phil's thing and like we're off. We're off squirreling really yeah. bad now, but they get better when you squirrel. People yeah, like okay, it. Okay, all right, fair, fair enough. Um, 
But I said, you know, you guys got the kind of like the sub three thousand cubic inch backpacks, mm-hmm. and then you're you're got the five thousand above. Yeah. And uh, I I have found my style of hunting. You know, I I don't do nine days. I do like three to five. Right. I do a lot of three to fives. You know, I'll go out do three five. Um, when I went on my mountain goat hunt, I did five. Everything fit in a forty. I don't know how big that tar is. A forty two hundred ish with the lid. It's with like the that, lid, yeah. yeah. When you puff it up, right? And I I fit everything in there on a solo hunt five days. Yeah. Again, you know, I quite frankly, even with that tar, if I filled it full of meat, I could I couldn't get the damn thing off the ground. I don't wait. You know, I'm not big big strong dudes like you guys. And so I'm like, I, I implore you, I implore you to reconsider the 40-ish, 4,000-ish <laughs> cubic inch backpack. Yeah. Well, no, and that's easy for us to do. And I know it's on the record, and so now, and now everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. You can, no, don't have to send these guys emails. I have asked them directly <laughs> on Kabarocast. Well, and what, what, uh, talking about taking emotion out of it, Frank and I carry big bags, yeah. right? And people ask me, they think, we're, I'm like, look, I get this shit free. I carry a big bag. I don't, I'm not carrying this because the only one I could afford. But Frank and I both physically, one, will carry more than we should. And then two, we have the lightest gear, state of the art, right? It's not like we carry heavy stuff, but we also have camera gear, right? Well, oh, yeah. I'm sorry to carry that stuff. This shit's heavy, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you were, I mean, well, you and I were talking about it once, and I finally just said, you know, I got to be honest with you, Andrew. I just eventually forget about the weight and just throw it in the pack because it's got to be in well, there. I tried, to, I tried to, on my mountain goat hunt, do the self-film. So I had a tripod and had 35 and a GoPro strap. That was a complete crap show the whole way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, yeah, camera gear weighs, weighs quite a bit. Well, what's that? The 95, the Hubble, right? Oh. I carry that everywhere. And you carry that like a 82. It's an 82, yeah. And then I carry 15s too. Like I carry – and. uh what I was telling him though, I'm like, dude, I think I might just bring the 15s and my 10s, and because I can glass like a mother with oh, those 15s. 15, yeah. And the thing is, with me, if it looks about 24 wide, and it's about, <laughs> I'm rolling. You know, you're rolling. <laughs> yeah. I tell so. I learned how to glass in Western Hunt down when I lived in Arizona, which is a horrible, what well, great place to learn, a horrible yeah, place you, to find shit. Yeah. <laughs> if there's if. If there's like one of the hardest places to figure out how to Western hunt, it's like in the desert. It's horrible. It's like it's like walking on a combination of Kellogg's uh, <laughs> Frosted Flakes and Rice Krispies. <laughs> Every step you take, it is absolutely brutal, and the con- the terrain is you know everything's poking you, trying to stab you, make you pussy. It's just bad, and the rocks are jagged and sharp. There's stuff that bites you, stings <laughs> you. It's just bad, right? Yeah. And you can't possibly cover the country uh, on your, you just walking, hoping you bump into stuff because there are just not that many animals. So even back in the day, uh, guys were glassing with 15s and 20 power binoculars. And uh, that's how you, if you were going to be successful uh, in the desert, you just learn how to glass. And it's, it's a powerful tool. Well, and I would say, I don't want to throw a percentage on this, but one of the key things that to victory in, in high country hunting, and I don't mean elk hunting because you can damn near hunt elk without, in yeah. the timber without binoculars. But when you're, when you're glassing, one of the keys to success is for me has been the, for a borderline ADD guy, the ability to stay behind the glass for six, seven, eight, nine, oh, ten yeah. hours. Yeah. Um, Sometimes you never leave the hill. Well, and Frank, I mean, you, 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 you glass, 
I mean, more than I do. I mean, I don't know. What do you think you're behind the glass in the course of a day on average? During hunting? Yeah. All day if I have to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like four to six, easy mm-hmm. on a regular day. Now, for, for might me- Might go back to camp and take a nap, but you're, I mean, yeah, you're back I mean, up there glassing. That's what yeah. I was going to say. I might go to camp or I might reposition to another point where I can't see, but most guys, and I don't know how many times it's happened, where, man, we couldn't find anything. And then I get up there and I'm like, oh, there's like 37 yeah. elk, right? Yeah. And there's times where I'm like, oh, I just glassed. I didn't see anything over there. Frank's like, there's a deer. There's a deer cub. And I'm like, motherfucker, I just missed that thing. Well, just <laughs> being methodical too. A lot of people just scan real quick and they don't grid it out. Yeah. I think that's oh, yeah. huge is grid, yeah. gridding out your spot. Yeah. You got to grid it out and then you got to dwell. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you just got to go. You're like, I'm just going to stick them there because that looks really like mm-hmm. a good spot. Yeah. And you got to just stare. Yeah. Well, <laughs> people don't appreciate that. That big buck that I have those two that we found I found another buck behind a rock because of a three inches of mm-hmm. velvet um yep, sticking up sticking up behind a boulder what was that boulder 20 yards behind him or mm-hmm. something and and I and I was certain if he was there it was a big enough rock there was probably others and so sure as could be you saw him wandering around they came out from behind that rock and I'm like see if I would have approached from that side it would have been just inside out deer running all over because looking at it to kill the buck I would have approached and killed it from behind the rock. Uh-huh. If I didn't have good glass and wasn't methodical, I would have approached that way. Now, I didn't approach shit because it's not hunting season, but the idea being, right. but then I saw that little piece of velvet and then we waited and more deer came out. So those kind of things too, when you want to talk about crying and going home, what does that drop? 800 feet? To those deer? Yeah. Yeah, it's down there ways. And then there's a, you got to circle back, drop down. I would have done all that to watch deer run away <laughs> for lack of glassing. You yeah. know, and, and you see, how many guys do you see get behind glass, see an animal, and they're gone? Oh, yeah. And, that's a bad deal right there. Yeah. That sounds, you like, study. sounds like the Wasatch. Well, and, and there's sometimes I'll make a plan on the way because there's no doubt there's, another an, there's no other animals. But then when you talk about high country hunting, there's so many nooks and crannies. Uh, like you want to sit there for an hour, like those deers, those deers, Jesus, <laughs> deers, those deer did not move for seven hours. You got time, right? They didn't come out of their bed. Here, here's something else, you know, uh, I don't, when the other thing I learned about glassing is when you find animals, like you actually got to, if you take the time to watch them, you're going to learn a lot about animal behavior. It's pretty, pretty interesting when you watch it, an animal you're like, oh, you see them at daylight, right? And they're coming up, or they're coming up to their beds, right? And you're like, okay, cool. And they lay down. And you're like, ooh, it's eight thirty. You know, and the wheels start turning. You're like, I can jam down there and cut over that rock and that bush. Do the belly crawl, man. I'll be right there. And you sit there and go. And usually, you've done that once or twice. Yeah. Because when you get down there, the animal's not there anymore because right. he just decided to lay down for ten minutes. Yeah. And on his way to his final bedding place. Right, and you would just watch them. They they'll lay down. They'll get up about ten o'clock. Right, they'll move on up. <clears throat> they'll mill around. They'll take a circuitous route, and then you can tell when they're going to bed down. Right, they look around. They check out their environment. They make sure it's still safe. They'll stare at the spot where they want to bed for a while. Right, they'll just look at it, and then eventually they'll lay down. And that's when you go after them. Kill most of my deer around one thirty, two o'clock in the afternoon. I was just going to say, that's what I call when they plant, yeah, right? Yeah. Mountain goats do the same thing. Little bastards will go forever. Then all of a sudden, when they plant, they're out, out. Like, we couldn't wake mine up. Throwing boulders at it and shit, you wouldn't wake <laughs> up. But, uh, but what I was going to say is my 
those deer we're at, they don't start moving until probably 10. Like they, they're probably up and down, up and down. But for me, and it's not like I'm a, well, you know, I've killed a bunch of high country deer, but I'm not an expert by any mean. That two to five is a pretty happy time or just before two. Because two, they seem to get up and they move a little bit. But between noon and two. They'll change beds when the sun moves. Yeah, or snack a hair. But between yep. noon and two is good. And, and the thing that's nice between uh, two and five, noon and two, is you have consistent wind normally in the high country. It may be consistently screwed up, but you know <laughs> what way it's screwed up. Um, and I tell you, you talk about animal behavior. You want to watch animal behavior, pick up a recurve because <laughs> – you're going to be waiting a long time. And, and that's one thing, like, for as many animals I'd shot with a compound, I was like, wow, this thing is still not moving, and I'm this close. Well, look, his buddies came. I would have never seen this before because I would have <laughs> shot him at 75 yards and because you, you got to wait. And, uh, I mean, so you do see a lot a lot of animal behavior a lot more. and, and But you're right. I mean, behind glass, you also see escape routes, which is good. Yeah. Um, the uh, – yeah, the, one thing that probably helped on that one of the recent scouting trips, the one before last, is the hikers were throwing boulders off of the cliffs where, where he's where he's hunting. They're throwing boulders off the cliffs, and the he saw where the deer went oh. and where they're hiding out now. And uh, also speaking of strategy, we we met up with a guy on the trail, another hunter, and he just so happened to camp right where the deer hang out. Oh, really? so, oh man, I even asked him. I said, "Hey, can you not camp there?" And he, he said, I've been doing, I've been back here a lot. And what, I mean, there was obviously he was going up there. Yeah. What did help is he pushed that big deer to me, <laughs> that wide one. How long did that deer and has it been in the same spot? A month? Yeah. Never moved. Well, he's in a spot that's hard to find now. Yeah. I and uh, that guy blew him out of there. And so it helped me. So your glass should always be half full if you can keep it that way because it actually helped me. Now, what will happen during season, who knows? But, um, you know, if you're not sitting there behind the glass, you don't find any of that stuff out. Um, The other thing, you know, with glass, and we were talking about that before we squirreled it away here, but, you know, when I was in Arizona, when you said 24 inches wide, I'm going, right? Yeah. Is I glass with 10s, 1042s, and then I have, I don't carry my spotting scope that much, um, but I do a lot of glass on my 1042s. And I, you, if you glass enough, you will know when you see an animal at distance, and you can see its antlers because mm-hmm. you'll see an animal and you go, oh, that's a buck or that's a group yeah. of bucks. Yeah. And, and you'll sit there and you go, oh, I can barely make out. You know, you're like mile and a half glass and two miles kind of thing. And all of a sudden you'll see see antlers. You're like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, that, that's, yeah. Uh, I don't need to pick them apart from here. That is a deer. I need to go. I need to go. Yeah. Um, and elk are the same way. Right, you glass elk. You see a you see a big elk. He, I don't need to know if it's a five or six or seven. Yeah, he is he is king. I gotta go. Yeah, uh, and I'll figure it out. Right, I'll pick him apart with my tens when I get close enough to look at him. Right, from four or five hundred yards. That's a good uh, question. We get a lot that we might you know talk about is uh, guys are like, hey, I've got a a thousand dollar eight hundred dollar budget to buy a spotter. What should I get? Which my general depending upon their binoculars is sell the binoculars you have and take that thousand and buy a good set of binoculars and don't worry about a spotter yeah um because i mean i'm not bringing no brand names but a a lower end 800 600 set of binoculars or even up to 12 1300 whatever they have those and they want to buy an 800 to a thousand dollar spotter the best thing i think you could do is throw your money down on els slc hds leicas 
Zeiss there's, there's SFs. A, there's some really great glass out there. And throw those on a tripod, and you're going to be better off than using a cheaper spotter because yeah. the chances of that spotter, the chances of an 800, I hate to say this, I'm going to get yelled at, an $800 spotter helping you more than doing what I said and having a set of good tens on a tripod are so slim because you're going to be able to outglass yourself on a tripod with good binoculars compared to a cheaper spotting scope. I mean, hands down, I think you're, the victory will be high-end glass on a tripod, 10 powers or whatever it may be compared to buying, having two cheap setups. Totally, totally couldn't I could not agree with that more. You, a lot of the guys I got to know years ago, they're killing hundred inch coos deer like on a regular basis, right? They they never took a spotting scope. Yeah, they had fifteen fifty sixes, and if they really wanted to look at something at distance, they had fifteens, right? But most of the time, they were glassing with tens. Yeah, and uh, again, right? I've spent a lot of time uh, glassing at small deer in the desert years ago, coos deer. And if it's big, it'll it'll be obvious to you, independent of the speed. Sheep, same way. Mountain goats, same way. Yeah. The spotter, um, to your point, I'd rather have uh, the best pair of binoculars. I think if, you know, if I think people are coming out with 12s nowadays, right? Yeah. Um, that seems to be, that was in vogue years ago, went away. 10s of 15s and now I see 12s a little bit. But buy the best binoculars. And the other thing is most people that, quote glass don't uh don't understand the importance of a good tripod or even have a lot of these guys that come out here to hunt don't even have a tripod yeah and the you guys get it right the first yeah. time i set a pair of binoculars on a tripod i was like whoa my mind i was like <laughs> whoa what is going yeah. on now what? i can see stuff holy cow nothing the world is not moving what was that comedian we just listened to when he talked about the first time he Tom Segura? Segura, yeah. It's, it's like that. Listen to the, what's that skit called? I don't know. It, Dang it. <laughs> I can't talk about it because it's too filthy, but it would be like the first time you put binoculars on a tripod. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, you're like, well, he said the oh first time. He's like, you know when you're a kid and the first time you put cheese on something? <laughs> <laughs> that was part of his analogy. So, yeah. yeah. He's like, man, this toast is so much better. Yeah, just throw that shit it's on like, that too. It's good. It's way better. It's like first time you dunked an Oreo cookie in milk. Yeah. You're yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, this is awesome. Well, and, and I, I, um, I spastically, I grab low-hanging fruit with tins. Yeah. And then I, 15s, I grid. Um, you know, and I, when I have my spotter, I'll, I'll grid with 10s. Mm-hmm. But with those 15s, man, I just yeah, 15s decided are... to mountain up with the 15s. Well, here's the deal, right? You can't kill it if you can't find it. Yeah. Right? You got to find it first. That That's why they make binoculars, yeah. right? <laughs> Is so you can scan, right? There's two, there's two fundamental processes in hunting. And one is search and one is kill. Yeah. Right. And searching means you got to find the thing. And if you are, don't have a, you know, tripod, if you have marginal, a lot of people don't understand about glass. I see it on the ASA or, you know, tournaments a lot. They'll come out and say, oh, these glass, this glass is really good, right? It's as good as your glass or this high dollar glass. I'm like, okay, what, when you go to, and you guys do this, I've, I've heard some of your podcasts where you look at, uh, you did a binocular mid-range uh, kind of shootout kind of deal. And the only way you can really figure this out is if you set binoculars or any, even any kind of glass on a, on a platform that doesn't move 
And what you'll find out when you assess glass is how clear it is all the way to the edge of your field of view. And that's, you know, that's where headaches uh, come from. And when you spend six hours behind, eight hours behind glass, every, I'm, it, you know, I've been studying optics here a little bit lately. It's really easy to get stuff clear in the center or, you know, half the area of the lens to get it crystal clear across 99.9% of the area of the lens is a completely different thing. I'm, I'm going to explain what the optometrist explained to me about migraines and headaches and glassing. Because um, there was a post Clint Whiting made, he was getting sick uh, oh. glassing for too long, right? And uh, and he had, he had myoptis, which are good glass. They're not yeah. bad. The way the optometrist explained it to me, which made perfect sense, this isn't for all be-all, end-all, fix-all, but your eye is concentrated to the clearest portion of that glass. No matter what, you can't control it. So as you're glassing and you look to the edge and you do that for six hours and your eye bounces back every time, goes to the edge, it's dirty or it's yeah, chromatic I've, aberration, yeah, yeah. back, 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 six hours. Pretty soon you're seasick. Pretty soon you have a headache. <laughs> that's right. And that's what people... And I and I I hate to get in arguments over this because it's not arguable. A lower end optic, I don't give a shit what it is, will never be equal to the big three with the technology they have now. High end glass costs money. That's why it's cost gets high, that's why it's high end. Lower end glass costs less money because they don't spend as much money on the glass. And what'll happen if you're just sitting in a tree stand, you grab and look up, you're good. I mean, it's you know whatever, but. Low light is one of the big things, and then edge-to-edge clarity. Now, Frank and I are lucky enough to have $100,000 of optics to test at a time, and that's, I would I say— I want to be your friend. Can I be your friend? <laughs> I would, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm only saying this for validity or legitim, le- legitimizing what we get to look through. At one time, we had Zeiss FS, SFs, Noctavids, ELs, EL ranges, SLCHDs, BX5s, BX4s, Vortex razors, uh, Meoptas, Mavens, Mavens, and that's binocular. That's tens, fifteens, and spotters all at one time. Where can you find that? Right? Yeah, that, right. And so you can't even find that in like sportsmen. <laughs> well, so we're on the back porch. We have fourteen tri. Well, that's an exaggeration. Five tripods set out, and and we're glassing everything from from signs down, you know, a mile away to looking for the the rolling barrel effect and pin cushioning and things that people don't understand. And then just looking through low light trees into through the trees Shadows, into, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, into yeah. the shade, which people, again, when you've spent time, when you go on especially true trophy hunts where it's not you hunting and you've got to help a guy. Yeah, that's and a that guy may have spent $100,000 on the tag. And you're looking, <laughs> you're, I mean, it's truly, do you want to be that guy? Yeah, it's like, right. oh, I, I think it's nine and a half. You better not say, I think yeah. for one. And this is something I learned like from, from Clay Lancaster, because he's looked at so many is when your optics fail you, um, you know, you have, you only have, you, you can get closer, you can have all these things or whatever. And I wouldn't say I learned this from Clay, but this is one of the times where, you don't want to push it into low light guessing an animal, right? Because there's going to be a certain point your optics can only carry you. But if that optic gives you 45 seconds extra, if the guy paid $100,000 for a tag, 
is it binocular that big of a deal, right? <laughs> that's like, right. And, and that's at the level of some people are at, right? Sure. As far as um, when I say people are at, what they're paying. If you're a normal guy, an electrician that has seven kids and, and a wife and a mortgage or whatever, yeah, I can totally, I dig it. I got it. I understand I was there. I'm still there now. If you're taking hunting seriously and you drive however many miles and you buy a new bow every year, don't. Buy what? binoculars. Quit buying a new bow. Yeah. I, I'll just <laughs> go back to my own. Uh, I wrote a article for uh, the outdoorsman. You know, they had their mm-hmm. tripod head. Love that thing. But um, in that article, and I mentioned it here already, I basically, I'll just use my own personal example. I bought my first pair of high-end glass in 1995. You know, I saved up my money. Didn't have two nickels rubbed together, but I had enough <laughs> to save. And uh, I bought those uh, 80 or 8 by 30 SLCs. I still have them to this day. I still put them on. Uh, I actually elk hunt with them because they're small, mm-hmm. light package. And if I need to put them on a tripod and glass across a, a mountain range, I can't obviously see, you know, five miles away. But if I got a glass across um, another ridge or two, I can actually do that with those things. That's That's the beauty of it. And... I don't do math in public. I've said that multiple times, but you know, whenever 1995 was to 2018, that glasses. I mean, for what I paid 550 dollars for that those set of glasses back then, and amortized that over 20 to 30, not quite 30, close 25 years. 25 years, years yeah, right. Ish. And then uh, I'm doing this. What it's 20 bucks a? It's like 27 dollars a year. Yeah. Yep. Right. Uh, I think, I, I mean, a lot of people can afford nowadays $50 a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just yeah. just plan it that way, amortize it over 20 years, and you might be surprised on what the cost, uh, you know, you can you can quote justify. We all justify costs, let's be clear. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I got $400 arrows. I was going to help me win the next FIDA. You're like, <laughs> well, right, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I can't stress that enough. And, um, there's a lot of good the glass has gotten better. And the reason why glass costs more is because they'll make a whole bunch of, they'll make a lot of objective lens and the mirrors and the prisms and all that. And then they'll, they'll measure them right across the entire, uh, objective lens, like this speaker screen. Right. And if it doesn't meet their requirements, They'll they literally throw them away. The reason why glass costs so much is because of the yield. It's yield, so they might only use ten percent of the glass that they actually manufacture. Yeah, right? and guess where that other glass goes? Not in those binos. Yeah, right? <laughs> and that and that's how they do that, right? And that's how they that's how they can stay in business. So you are literally getting the best glass. This is why? What are you paying for? You're paying for perfection basically literally perfection yeah that that that's how it was explained to me through two of the higher end optics companies there was two two reasons one what you said and two Europeans pay their people well um just flat out they they have a a specific rate they pay to to work at that plant or factory and it's it's quite good um and this isn't to we generally when we do a podcast like this I'll get some emails not a few not a ton of uh I've killed 17 animals with X set of binoculars. Well, there's no doubt you can kill animals with lower end binoculars. That's that's not an arguable point. I mean, you can kill them without binoculars. I don't. I don't. I, I highly doubt that Native Americans had Swarovskis, um, <laughs> and they got her done right. Uh, but when you're when you know when when you're talking about you know okay, 
trying not to be hypocritical, but as you have that, but you have $240 arrows, right? You have a 12 to $1,400 bow. You have, I can go on and on, but, but Hey, I don't need high end optics. You may not where you are, but some people do. And and I think one of the things obviously we're trying to stress here is if you're going to hunt in the high country, you don't need them, but man, it's pretty close to a need, especially to be super successful and not get sick. And I've, you know, I had the the Nikon, the low end Nikons, which are great glass for the money. But if you're behind, when I say Nikon, I mean, pick a brand Bushnell or the lower end Vortex, you're going to get a headache, right? You're going to get sick. You just can't stay behind the glass. Here's something. So I shoot, uh, I shoot Redding, been shooting Redding for many years in a row. And hey, everyone's got binoculars of different sets and whatnot. And someone will shoot it and they'll look at their binoculars and they're like, man, you know, Bob, I think you're, you're right there, right? You're like half shaft touching the dot. And I'll pull mine up and go, now you're out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so my nickname in my group is Dream Crusher. <laughs> That's funny. Right? That's they're, true, they're, though. But seriously, the binoculars, uh, even, even in that setting, um, if you think you're hitting the dot in a tournament, you know, we're talking about high country, which is, you know, demographically, not a lot of people do that. But there are so many applications for good glass and even tournament shooting when you shoot the 12 or you think you did or whatever, or you need to find that spot on the target where you really need to know where to aim, say, in a tournament situation. Um, there's no substitute. You know, you can't hit what you can't see. And yeah. that's that's the bottom line. No, that's for, for, for certain. And I, I mean, when I was shooting something that I had that ability to shoot that accurate, um, a, a very good example Um Remember the cheetah? I mean, they'll have a cheetah, right? Three dots on the cheetah. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And you oh, got to come off thing. the dots. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like the fallow deer. Oh, <laughs> oh Christ. <laughs> the only way that, and, and I mean, this is obviously back in the javelina, there was a specific white spot Dot, yeah. that I would come off of and a black spot on the cheetah. And uh, with high-end binoculars, you can see that. Oh, and you yeah. can see it in any lighting um, where to come off of aiming. And if you can shoot, you know, let's say it's a 36-yard um, amount of cheetah or whatever javelina, which isn't overly far, but if you can hit quarters normally or a golf ball at that distance, you should ideally, if you can judge the artist, hit the 12, right? But if you can't see that 12, doesn't really matter because you're aiming at the wrong damn black dot. And that you would see, I remember that cheetah with guys with there'd be people watered in mm-hmm. the wrong black yeah, dot, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you look up and they're like, Oh, that's where I, you know, that that's a great, uh, great uh, point. You go to a tournament and everyone's pulls up and they're like, yeah, I can see the, I can't see the 12 ring or I can see it. And you're like, yeah, I can't do That's not where it's at. You know? <laughs> like, I don't, I'm going to shoot over there. You all do what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, Frank, you probably get tired of me talking about the tournament stuff, but, um, or maybe you don't, but it's, it seems like you do, but I bring up things, whether it's footing when your toes are down bubble into the hill. Um, you know, Hey, when you're aiming at longer distance, you just, you have a, tendency to creep out of the bottom of the peep all the things we've we've all learned and um you've become a pretty insane shot in a short period of time i mean you you consistently i would say shooting the 190s um high 180s sometimes yeah <laughs> but i'm doing good, all right but which yeah. is a pretty good shooting and uh it's real good the the one thing that is different between you and i is he was brought up like a millennial in the, the time of the rangefinder. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what that means, but yeah. uh, I'll go. Don't with ever it. call me yeah. a millennial. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, saying like you have, uh, w- w- if you were going to have different classes of, um, you know, you have the classes of 
uh, in the U.S. of you have the millennials and you mm-hmm. have the what? Okay, well, Gen X and the yeah, yeah. Then you have in an archery, you have the class of um, the non-rangefinder in the beginning, which was us, um, or or right in the beginning. I'm a lot older than you, by the way. How old are you? Fifty-two. Oh yeah, you got me. So you're. I see. I only thought. Yeah, but by the way, you look quite good for fifty. <laughs> thank you. No homo. No homo. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, I thought you only had me by like five. You got my ten. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I shot for five years before, four years before rangefinders. Where yeah. And I say rangefinder. They had the thing where you dial oh, yeah. it over yeah, and it, it was, shifts together. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, focus. <laughs> you're like whoa. Uh, oh yeah. But I still got mine. You and, and then and then they were. I bought. Uh, Bushnell 500 at Walmart, yeah, I think. Yeah. The big, I got, big bastard. You know, box the yeah. size of that thing. Yeah. yeah. I got the well, six. It was like on. golf, golf rangefinders. Yeah. The golf rangefinders were really much better than the archery ones I found later on. Uh, there was a super high end golf rangefinder my buddy bought, and it was, I can't remember the name, something Tronics, maybe. It was yellow. Um, anyway, we'll have to look that up after this. But I learned to judge the hard way. And then in, in, uh, I, now I'm not where I was once was, but I like a human rangefinder. I mean, I can usually dial it in, so I don't worry about a rangefinder as much. These feather muckers, right? <laughs> rangefinders today? Oh, we're taking. I mean, it's like on when they don't. It's they're using the right. When, how often do you guys not use them? Not very often. Yeah, they've got them all. When the we time get serious, when, we won't use it, and then that's when. But when things when, get interesting, when I was you know shooting and where we guys like when I first met you, it was a two hundred and eighty foot per second yeah. speed limit plus or minus three I think three percent or something anyway and uh you had to be able to judge so, yeah, you did. <laughs> and and to be remotely even in the ballpark you had to be consistently within a yard or two but within a yard and and maybe you could get one screw up on a on a with you and your competition wasn't great and and then of course the 20 targets and then most of the time you couldn't screw up at all and this is just in a local shoot oh yeah and then you go to a national shoot, which I shouldn't. I haven't shot as many as you, but I shot a few. That's when you're like, these motherfuckers <laughs> down south obviously don't get snow. Yeah, like they, yeah <laughs> they're they, judging twelve months a year. Absolutely, and and it's amazing how much judging has to do with that. Now the the uh, known is a big one, right? They didn't have the known wasn't a thing. Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. So you know, it seems like my whole world's about Arizona. Uh, it's not, but so I grew up in Illinois deer hunted and uh this is when tree stands were literally tree forts so you drive down there with your truck full of <laughs> two by fours and plywood and you would literally nail your stand into the trees right and uh over those years growing up i'd kill a few white-tailed deer here and there pretty proud of that you know <laughs> and uh and then I, I moved to the west coast first real job didn't didn't bow hunt much and then moved to arizona and got back into it and um so I'm talking at the local shop in Arizona, and they're like, oh, yeah, you killed some stuff. That's great. You know, you should uh, try 3D. Have you tried 3D? And I'm like, and, uh, you know, I've killed stuff. I'm good, man. I've killed stuff. I can shoot a bow. I got this. <laughs> I've been shooting a bow since I was a kid. And they're like, well, you should come out. It's a lot of fun. So I go out there, and uh, the first target is in a wash. It's like, <laughs> if, I don't know if I'm going to put it this way. It's like judging a target on a beach, you know? You're, and I'm looking at that going, oh, my gosh, I literally have no <laughs> idea what the yardage is. And the first 20 targets, I think I missed eight. <laughs> eight animals because I couldn't judge. In the desert, again, I mean, they put them in a wash. It's like 
literally put a put a javelina on a beach and you'd see a guy just fling arrows at it. Yeah. So what it quickly taught me was, to your point, boy, I better get if I'm going to kill anything. <laughs> like you know, I yeah, I was pumping on my chest. I killed some white-tailed deer. It's all great. This is a different ball game and had to judge yardage. So that's when I started shooting uh, tournaments just so I could figure out how to kill something. And to and fast forward to, to today, I don't know what your rates, your percentages are, but for me, it's like 50% of the time I get to use my rangefinder. 50% of the time I do not. The animal comes out. Jeremy and I were all cutting a couple of years ago. We're in the, you know, they're going happy times in the in the elk woods. One elk's coming over the ridge, and one elk comes straight up toward us. And I tell Jeremy, I said, oh, man, he's coming. I'm looking at the one over the left, and, and I've heard Aaron say this a couple times. You know, I'll shoot the first thing that stands in front of me. I'm not too <laughs> damn picky. I just, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so this one comes up. It stops. I didn't range it. I looked at it. and like 40. Boom. Shot it. You know, dead elk. Yeah. And, and other times, you get to pick it apart on my sheep hunt. The, uh, they came up the ridge. I was above them. The, the ram laid down and I was able just to range him, range him, range him. You know, I stood there for like 45 minutes when they were all just milling around at 35 yards and I got to use my range finder there. Yeah. So 50% of the time, right. You get it for me. I don't know what it is, what, yeah, what it say, is for you guys. I think I have used the range finder ranging things around a lot more so yeah and then the animal comes and i've got a brief idea i would say that's 50 percent of the time i've ranged a bunch of stuff and then the other there's also the times that have happened when i miss and then it runs out and i don't know the range and then you have to guess right and that's a big one too being able to you know control your shit together and a good example was last year with with brian um hit one at one of the elk he shot at um it it came out and Brian had did has not shot three Ds much. He's he's shooting more now, but the elk came out and um it was he didn't know if it was thirty or forty. And and for me, if you don't know if it's thirty or forty, I just put my forty on its heart and worst case scenario, I hit its heart unless I'm way off, right? right. Which has happened before. <laughs> but uh I'm not sure. I think he just kind of split the difference and shot and he hit it low, which is I mean, it happens. But like, I mean, I think that for that example, that would, that is a learning thing for the rest of his life for him. Right. Um, you know, one is, as is, um, you know, practice judging more, but two is also pin placement, um, which I think people have struggle with. Well, for me, I don't use two pins much when I'm, when I'm hunting, um, I aim at something with the one pin. I got enough shit to focus on, right? So if it's 56, <laughs> yeah. right, I'm not looking at my 50 and 60. Um, or I might be looking at my 60 instead of my 50, depending, right? I'm trying not to focus on both pins uh, for, for me, and there's tons of different ways to do it. But one of the reasons I do not like that Garmin Zero site mm -hmm. is it basically – it's not about technology and it's not, I don't get involved. <laughs> I care about yeah. that shit. It makes people lazy. Yeah. Flat out. That's why I don't like it. And trying to explain that. There's in no email, shortcut. There's no shortcut to killing an animal. I'm just here to tell you, unless, unless you got a, you know, well, I mean, I'll say fair chase game. I'll yeah. say it that way. Yeah. There's, there's just no shortcut. And the further West you go, the further North you go, um, it just gets uh, that much, you know, more intense, if you will. Well, um, I, I just think practicing is the key. Well, you know, I shoot five pin slider mm -hmm. and, uh, in, you know, just talking to people, I used to shoot pins when I shot tournaments in the early days. 
And one of the best advices I give people is when you're shooting in tournaments with your pin bow, there's no reason, and you actually just touched on it a minute ago, there's no reason to aim out of the 10 with the speed of the bows now. In other words, if you, you just said it, right? Yeah. Well, if you're between 30 and 40, you're not quite sure, put the 40, i.e. on the bottom of the 10 ring yep. and let it fly, right? And it, if it's anywhere in, you know, 35 to 40, you're going you're gonna to hang a high 10, Yep, and if it's a hunting situation, you're going to catch the eight, which is the uh, where all the lungs are, and you're going to have a dead animal anyway. Yep. So the, these principles, these simple rules, have applied, in, you know, in the tournament. And that's why you want to do 3D tournaments. My wife had to remind me one time. I was all like, you know, I got a loaded diaper. I was all upset. I didn't, <laughs> didn't shoot good, and you know, blah blah blah. And I came home. She goes, "Well, you know, why did you bother doing tournaments to start with?" And the answer is so I could judge yardage, yeah. <laughs> so I could go kill stuff when, you know, you spend all your resources, all your time away you're from your family hunting and you have that one opportunity and it's a, you know, and you don't get to use your range finder. You want to be successful. That's why you do the tournaments. That's why you put in the work. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, we shoot like, you know, last night I was doing angled shots cause I'm Slightly worried about yeah. that with a recurve. <laughs> but, um, I mean, we shoot 3Ds probably, what, twice a week on yeah. average, three yeah. times. I mean, that's why we're shooting them. It's, I mean, there's some shit talking. I had to shave my head because Luke beat me, right? But, I mean, a lot of that for me is I'll, I'll tell Amy, like, hey, we need to go up there. I got to practice these specific yeah. angles and shots, because mostly with the recurve because I'm just not used to it and I'm, and I'm worried. But um, I say worried like – I don't want to have that happen where I get that big white bastard in front of me and my right leg's up and Steph to my left and I'm canned funny and I shoot it in the hoof. Well, I don't want that. Yeah, people, uh, you know, uh, we sell at third axis level, right? Yeah, yeah, Full yeah. draw, blah. And I have so many uh, eastern hunters, whitetail hunters say, well, you know, I, don't need, I don't need that. I, you know, all my stuff's at 20 yards. And I go, well, uh, do you hunt out of a tree stand? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? They're like, well, yeah, I'm like, Okay, well, I don't. You're never shooting on flat ground. Uh, in out west, you're out back east. You're on a ridge, whatever. Your footing, your shot situation. I don't. When's the last time you shot something that was just like on dead flat, pan flat ground, other than maybe an antelope? Out west, nah, not much. Not much. Even east, uh, back east, right? Tree stand, that's tree stand it. hunting, yeah. Yeah. same drill. Yeah. So, but all that, yeah, absolutely, all that changes uh, your impact point. And if the animal, I give this example, uh, you know, if the animal's quartering away, and I've done some math to, to show how much you can miss how much you can expect to miss if your, your sight isn't set in third axis. It, it doesn't take much, right, at distance, 40, 50, 60 yards, and you can be out three, four, five, six inches. And you got enough stuff going on. I Knowing that your, your stuff could be off by six inches out of the gate in a particular downhill situation or uphill is unacceptable. I think <laughs> you'll uh, never kill anything, you know. I think the year you came out with that, I'd missed a bull – uphill you were making fun of me uh in a good way <laughs> i think i think i was actually i remember it, that yeah uh you were like have you checked your third access third access and i was like uh i don't think i have actually no and and it, well i mean i knew what it uh i knew what it was but i hadn't checked it and uh i missed left i remember and it was it was a big bull and i, I was 
in a boulder Uphill. field. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's left. And uh right yeah. shooter. <laughs> and yep. Yeah, and uh I remember coming back and I knew better, you know. I knew I well I had what was stupid is when I shot tournaments, I had that biter, um I think it was a biter or might have been Sherlock, the one where you could put your sight on the block and then yeah. you would pivot up. Yeah, was yeah. it Biter that made? No, uh, George Chapman made that. It was uh, easy. I forgot. I have one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, but I know what you mean. It you rotated. Bolt the, yeah, yeah, bolt yeah. the side goes up yeah. and down, and yeah. and uh, and I paid attention on three Ds and hunting. I just never paid as much attention, and uh, I just shot. And you know, if I hit pretty good, whatever, I'm good. And it was, in, and this was back then. Obviously, I'm quite a bit more anal now, and. Uh, I went back and I my bubble was just fucking maxed, yeah. right? And I leveled it up and um it was eighteen inches is what I was off. Yeah. Um and and that obviously I, I missed that animal probably pl- plus the extra was probably just the, my torsion of my body, right? Yeah, and, add the the unnatural shooting position, your your feet are, you know, God knows your all all your weight was on your one foot, your right foot or whatever. And I was breathing hard, and it was steeper yeah. than the backside and, of hell. And yeah. you could only be as accurate as missing by 18 inches. Yeah. 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 <laughs> From the, that's, I, that's as accurate as you could possibly be. It would be. probably have been better, you know, uh, luck involved. I mean, if it was facing the other way, I might have been okay. Yes. Well, that's the thing. People, you know, to your, uh, you, you never know that you make a shot. I've made these shots. Uh, whether it's in a, you know shooting at a in a tournament or a, on an animal, you're like oh, and you're like oh, twelve. Everyone's looking <laughs> through their binoculars like great shot, dude. You know, I'm like yeah, thanks, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> uh, just a little dip bang in it there. Yeah, tube it. You're, you're like man, I'm glad they didn't look through my sight when I was shooting that thing. <laughs> but yeah. shit can happen. It's you know luck is a, a bit a bit a bit of part of it uh, as well, but. It, I spend too much time and my family time is too precious to not have my equipment as good as I can possibly make it. So I remember you talking about missing arrows. Uh, if anybody knows Tony Clem at one time, I mean, Tony can still shoot, no, but at, can shoot. at one time, Tony was one of the best shots in the nation as far well, he as he won Redding years ago. Oh, I mean, he, he can shoot flat out, shoot it. He was one His of the boy, guys. Uh, Tanner Clem. Yeah. Well, this is, <laughs> this is he funny. Can shoot. I haven't seen Tanner or Tony in, forever and it was you were with me weren't we yeah, and yeah. i went up and i saw i said tanner tony's right behind him i didn't yeah. recognize him tanner linebacker at csu oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's he's yeah he's got the full on i bet i bet that he gets more ass than a toilet seat that is a good looking kid like i'm thinking stay away from my <laughs> yeah, daughter I'm, buddy. I'm comfortable in my sexuality he is a good looking yeah. yeah. i gotta say what nationality are you because that's a good mix dude you do not look 52 thank you i i'm would uh, you have guessed that no uh, I, again, no homo, but right. dude, I thought you were my age, no, I'm half and I look ch- good well, for my age. This is my running joke. Um, when people ask me that, right, I go, well, I'm half Chinese. Can't you tell by my accent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people just look at me, and they, they don't know if they should laugh because, you know, in this age of social inappropriateness, right, you're like, I don't know if I should, can laugh at that. He made himself, made fun of himself with oh, his shit. nationality. Uh, can't tell, <laughs> you know. What, are you... Asian and Russian? Asian yeah, and, yeah. Don't dude, mess with me, man. That's no, no shit. You know Irish jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's yeah. a good combo. Well, good the Lord. rest of it's Euro trash, you know, my dad's side. It's just kind of <laughs> throw it all in there, stir it up. Oh, Lord. That's funny. I saw a squirrel. So I saw yeah, Tanner, right. Tanner and yeah. Tony. And I looked up. I was like, Tony? And uh, he's standard Tony. Tony doesn't ever change. And um, he, uh, I think in Fort Collins, the first 3D shoot, he lost all of his hyper speeds and that dude can shoot 
um, when we shot him before Collins, I only had an arrow left. Um, it happens. Man. And this guy can. Well, he he won Redding. Yeah. I think he's. I think he's he's won just about everything. I mean, at back in the day, him and Randy were shooting against each other, Ulmer, and Randy went to the 3D thing, and Tony's like, "That's stupid. That's never going to take off." And I think he's he won. Man, he's has he won Vegas or Atlantic City? He's done well at all. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's just a he's one of the top shooters. He's a, shooters, he's a big motherfucker. Too. He's a like, big dude. Yeah. yeah, I built decks for him for a while, but it's. It's funny. This is totally off the subject of archery. <laughs> he, uh, you know, I give Frank crap all the time because what are you old? 29, 8, 29. 29. Yeah. About as you get older, what you learn. And uh, and Tony was one of those. I sent him a text after I saw him and I said, dude, you were a very good friend to me and I did not treat it as I should have. And, uh, you, you know, you're younger, you're yeah, dumb. Right. And I said, man, I, I, I want to thank you for everything and he's a very giving dude and i just took it for granted and i said dude i want to thank you for everything you've ever done for me and i'm sorry because yeah. i didn't treat that friendship like i should i didn't do anything wrong to him right right actually you just didn't appreciate what where you were what I, you had. I did do something wrong did i tell you the dog story yeah fuck man i watched <laughs> he had me watch his dogs oh and dude they look the same and i'm supposed <laughs> to give this one dog these pills and the other dog i was giving the fucking pills to the wrong dog and his dog died oh so my for like a year every time i'd call him he'd answer the phone aaron's dog watching service <laughs> <laughs> i felt horrible but that dude was like he's the guy that taught me a ton like shimming out the limb pockets oh, yeah. uh, to get more poundage I mean, basically tuning, like he, he taught me a ton of stuff. And I remember at his house up in Conifer at 80 yards or whatever, 60, just sitting there and he'd be drunk, right? He likes to drink. I don't know about now, but he pounding them down. I mean, shooting, you know, Copenhagen leads at 60 and 80 consistently just pounding beers. And I mean, he's the one that taught me how to shoot a back tension correctly. And he'd shoot that Carter Avenger or whatever, that two finger yep. way out on the end of his fingers, which is where, why I do that. String just barely touching his nose and just boom, boom. And I mean, the dude's got forearms the size of most guys' calves. And he'd sit there and just shoot. And I'm like thinking, you know, if you've got to be this good and he's drunk, I think I'm going to go hunting. Right? <laughs> he, he told me, a, no, he didn't tell me a story. Another squirrel. Hoyt came out with those limbs that they said you could dry fire him. Uh -huh. He got drunk and was running around in the hotel beating on people's doors and then dry firing the bow, Are going to the seriously? next door. Look at this, because Hoyt gave him one, dry oh firing it God. three or four times. <laughs> that story didn't come from Tony. That came from, actually, that might have came from one of the rags days. <laughs> anyway, he's crazy as hell. I like Tony. Good dude. No, I see I see those guys uh, again uh, when we go to do the Reading gig, you know. Yeah. They're, they're, it's just funny how the – Colorado contingency when you go travel there's certain flights and you know you go to the gate and you're like oh there's Dylan oh there's you know Derek there's uh, oh there's Tony and Tanner yeah <laughs> okay you know on and on and on. yeah well okay <laughs> if this plane goes down I have to reset on the Colorado archery thing I think I'm not sure but uh yeah no kidding but yeah but back to um you know being the older uh, thank you very much, Aaron, for that. It's, uh, you know, getting out and getting after it, it, it takes a little bit more, uh, than it used to for sure. Um, I'm starting 40, to feel it. Yeah. Wait yeah. to, wait till you get to, to where I'm at and you're, you guys are better shaped than me, but it just takes a little, it takes more to stay, to be quote competitive. I, 
to cl- climb a mountain, I don't climb like I used to. I just go slower. <laughs> <laughs> and to back to the question you had on Tim, right? We I've hunted with Tim a bunch, and he's getting older too. I think he's like forty-seven, somewhere in there. And uh, he's got really long legs. Okay, I'm going to circle got, back to my side when you're done. So <laughs> okay. yeah, <laughs> but we would climb up a mountain, and he his long legs. He takes as many strides as I do, right? But he's, but he goes further, and then he has to stop and catch his breath, and then I'd just keep going, and I'd walk <laughs> past him, and he'd be like, "Shit!" And then he'd take he'd run blow by me. It's the it's the hare and the turtle, man. The same thing. And we always, but he can cover some ground. Don't get me wrong. We were on Kodiak, yeah. And what are those the muskeg? Yeah, the, where the the you know four foot holes in the freaking tundra. Yeah, muskeg. Okay, yeah, yep. that stuff sucks. Yeah, and he would literally walk, step across those things with his legs, <laughs> and I'm like doing this this chicane thing all the way across the whole freaking bloody landscape. Uh, yeah, but that dude can cover some ground. I'm he, he we backpacked in. And, oh yeah, you uh, elk hunting with. And uh, I was with another guy, Doug Ross, and I think Doug just won Redding. Um, Did he? Yeah, he. I think he shoots your rest. I think, but Doug's a SWAT team guy. Shit, good shape, right? Hardcore dude. And Tim took off, and I looked at Doug, and I was like, I can't go that fast. I was like, <laughs> and it was dark, right? Yeah. I mean, he, but then we ran into him on the side of the trail, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so we hunted for several days, and and uh, uh, and Tim's told. I, I mean, I've heard this story all the way from Lawn Lobber on down. I don't know how many people Tim's told this story to, but. Um, he wanted to race at 13,000 feet upside of the hill. And, uh, oh, yeah. this was, this was, um, with packs and, uh, he took off and he had a couple of steps. I'm like, all right. So I blew by him and <laughs> get to the top of the hill and I was taking some deep breaths and he laid there and I thought the whites <laughs> of his eyes were going to roll the back of his head. I was like, Tim, <laughs> what are you doing, man? I was like, are you crazy? And I've, I've heard that story repeated back to me. In fact, Dale Jones, does mm-hmm. that ring a bell? Yeah. Okay. So did Dale? I saw this guy like my photos on Instagram, and that he he looks super familiar. Was he in the early two thousands shooting and in like three D times a few times or oh, something? Yeah. Dale Jones used to hang out with uh, Tony Tazza in those days. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He he looks still around. Okay. He looked super familiar on social media, but I didn't want to be weird and be like, man, I think I've seen your picture in 3D yeah. times in 1999. <laughs> yeah, right? Right. But I was like, huh. And, and he, he brought up that story. He's like, yeah, Tim's brought you up before. And I was like, that must've been a monumental portion of Tim's life. Cause I thought he was going to fucking die when he laid there. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> well, when we went uh, elk hunting that one time with Sean and, and Tim and I, they, they went down the bottom of this place and they're out scouting and uh, they come running up the freaking trail because they were racing. <laughs> could, you know, they're both really competitive guys and, and they, they're like, there's no way you're going to beat me up the hill. No, man, here they come, right? <laughs> they come up, they come past me and I, I'm like, what are you guys? I'm just thinking you guys are idiots. You know? <laughs> we're out here to kill elk. I'm saving my energy. You guys are racing up the hill, whatever. Yeah. That's yeah, funny. That's Tim. Yeah. That's Tim for sure. He's, he's definitely, he's uh Tim is a super, super cool dude. He's one of the nicest guys you could meet, but he's he is the kind of guy you don't want to strike up a conversation with Tim about archery at a beginner's level because you'll be drinking through four fire hoses. Um, <laughs> I mean, you want to take notes and be ready, but I th- it's almost with Tim. Well, Levi actually said it. He's like, it's almost with Tim. 
he can't leave it alone. It, like it, there's always something better. There's always <laughs> the can some moved like a flea's hair. There's always something. Cause I remember Tim telling me, I don't think I told Levi this, or maybe I did on the podcast. Tim told me Levi's downfall several years ago was his inability or his lack of tuning. Like he just didn't, wasn't techie. And Levi admitted that. And he's like, I think it actually pissed Tim off because I didn't know what I should have known. And he's on his 12th straight, yeah, you know, exactly. and he was like, where was, and he said he learned a lot from Tim. Yeah. Right. And he, and he said, uh, but I mean, that, you know, he, he, going on Tim's side of things, like the dude is so into in a level that's well, epic, right? Well, he's just, yeah, I'll get, you know, give you a ref, point of reference. There's, we get phone calls from a lot of the um, pro shoot, not a lot, but several of the pro shooters. And when new bows come out, I won't name any brands. There's always getting to know the bow and figuring out how to dial it in and they talk, et cetera. And when they have troubles, they call Tim. <laughs> they don't, you know, I mean, Tim has probably fiddled with a bow in, in all forms and factors more. He's got more fiddling time than probably most people in their lifetime. Yeah. And with that comes experience. Mm -hmm. And aside from the, you know, the engineering and the cat math and all that, it's just practical, hands-on shoot an arrow in the wind of this kind, shoot an arrow in the same wind of this kind, what do you see? Why? Mm. Yeah, you can explain it with math if you want to hurt your head. Yeah. Or you can just do it and see what you what you get. And um, those guys, they go to Tim all the time. And, uh, you know, and Tim a lot of times will recommend our stuff as a result. Yeah. like, hey, you know, try this, just try it. Um, but, uh, yeah, he is the, and, you know, like Dave Cousins calls Tim, Levi calls Tim, yeah. right? You know, Nathan Brooks calls Tim. Um, they they call Tim. Period. Yeah. They they won't admit it, right? I'm serious, <laughs> yeah. Greg. They're like, meh, but they will call Tim, and that and he's the he's the most uh, he's a very you know he's a very giving person. Yeah, he'll give you the shirt off his back. He'll give you you go to his shop, call him up, say I want to swing by. He'll 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 stop his world to help another archer for sure. Yeah, and he. Uh, I don't call him anymore because I'm shooting a stick. Right? Yeah. So I don't, you know, whatever. He could still probably he give me advice. He oh, yeah. pretty good too. Not as good as you, obviously. He, well, no, he told me he was talking. He shot one on a tournament or yeah. recently and we were talking or whatever. But he, uh, um, going into the, the, the tuning thing and everything else, like the rangefinder deal that, you know, because he, he knew that I had taken some far downhill shots mm -hmm. and and i got to the point where i used to use a cut chart and then i got to the range finder with angle comp and, and kind of i would wing it right mm -hmm. i, I yeah. just knew hmm, <laughs> better put my 80 at the below the heart <laughs> line <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even though it's saying 80 this yeah. is the lion's line. well he had talked about trying to run the numbers and and because he didn't tell me this but that it's figured out off a of pie which is a a constant and you would be way better at this but with my feeble mind and construction background i'm like well that's a constant you know and and, and it would change I, I didn't see how you could you, there's no way it could ever be perfect because of the changing in angles and distance that the rangefinder could be that smart right mm -hmm. it couldn't be perfect and after i think it's 20 or 22 degrees and 70 yards it really starts to get real wonky right yeah and, and uh i remember rewinding being on a sheep hunt in like 99 and shooting like 18 feet over these sheep's back <laughs> right but then realizing now that was about right yeah. right i mean you figure if the sheep is 38 yards 
um, out away from the the cliff, which is that's what you're shooting it for. I mean, in a very like green way of explaining it, but it's 90 yards down. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean shit, right? It was just, it's really a 38 yard yeah, shot. Sure. Okay, sure. so shoot at the 38 yard bail with your 90 yard pin. You're going to be 10, 15, 20 <laughs> feet high. Just well, <laughs> a bit outside. Yeah. <laughs> but that's trying to explain to people when you didn't have rangefinders. Oh yeah, no one gives it. They range. Oh, it's 37. Well, the rangefinders today, they, they they take the cosine, right? Yeah, it's a cosine function, and so it doesn't take into account ballistic coefficients or any of the other stuff. Right. Like a, you can now, uh, I think, on long distance shooting. They have range finders where you can put in the ballistics of the round you're shooting and all that stuff. And uh, with our archery stuff, we, we just don't have that. Yeah. And, um, you know, talking about people going to Tim when, when Levi went, the story comes through Tim. So when Levi went on his uh, Dallas sheep hunt, mm-hmm. he called Tim for all the cut charts. Yeah. Because, and Levi told Tim, uh, you know, gave him his third hand, but he said, I wouldn't kill that sheep if I didn't have those cut charts. And Tim, yeah. Because Tim sets all his stuff up at 295. Yeah. And uh, he's got these cut charts. I don't know, you saw a post, I think it was last year, he was getting ready for the uh, Pro Archery Series, where they, over in Europe, um, where they do these crazy field shoots and super steep and long range. Tim had a bucket truck. And he he literally left. You know, at, they were doing some work at his house. Yeah. And he was in the bucket truck. He's in his freaking cut charts. Like you know, I'm going to uh, shoot a four yard. You know, it's four yards from the base of the bucket. He's like 50 feet in the air, and he's getting all these cut charts. It's crazy. Yeah. But, but that's the kind of guy he is, and and to that point, that's the kind of resource he is. Yeah. Doing all these front of center podcasts, you you attract the old and the young, right? You. You tracked the must be. In fact, we just had a guy copy and paste and bash me a little bit uh, in Levi um, about uh, Levi shot a 440 grain arrow last year, shot right. a 500 the year before, you know. And I said, hey, I I'm a fan of heavy arrows, and I I, I talk about mechanicals. I can't shoot them now, but I always had fixed blades and mechanicals in the quiver because I like a big hole. And the older, not the older crowd, a lot of people will say, why don't you just shoot a single bevel fixed blade? It's obviously the best. Well, yeah. So <laughs> then you have um, the, the Tim's, right? And uh, Tim shoots a two big, well, Tim shoots the same thing. I had a big two blade cut on contact or two big two blade mechanical. And I, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm really off the chart because it doesn't matter because I shoot 90 pounds with a 600 grain arrow with a compound, so I can shoot whatever I want. But I would shoot a mechanical and a fixed blade. I carry both. I I, I rock both of them when I'm out hunting. Yeah, I, there's there's a, and I understand and and here's what I'm bringing up and I want you to respond to and you as well. So this is what I got into it with a guy on an email the other day. Basically, all young kids are stupid, all mechanicals suck, and all light arrows suck. <laughs> I will agree, light arrows aren't the best, right? You need to shoot a heavier arrow. But we're going to take and say Bob. Bob's a general name. Bob has two things going for him. Bob has the undying, willing, wants to be out in the woods. He's going hunting, right? He has. He is going. And Bob also has shitty arrow flight. Bob doesn't have a local pro shop, and Bob is going to try and tune that bow over the phone, which probably isn't going to work. So season's about to start. Do you want Bob with a 1% chance of failure with a mechanical hitting what he aims at, with in, out to 50? Or do you want Bob with a 100% chance of not hitting what he aims at, 
but shooting a fixed blade for the greater good of I don't know what old people, right? <laughs> so, and that's the thing where a guy says, "Why would you ever shoot a a, a, fix, a mechanical?" That's one reason. And then you come, well, he needs to learn to tune. Yeah, well, in a perfect world, I need to flush the toilet and do my own laundry, but I'm probably not <laughs> going to. So, I uh, you always give me, I always forget to flush. Um, so I'm like, look, way off. I know. Yeah, Squirrel, that was, uh... The uh, but I'm trying to prove a point. <laughs> <laughs> the guy though that's going out. Yeah, while well, we're young. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the guy that's going out though, he's going to go hunting. He no matter what, right? He's going a less than one percent, let's say, or one percent chance of a mechanical failing, but hitting the right spot, or a fixed blade that's guaranteed to not hit the right spot because the bow's not tuned. There's applicable. There's certain situations that are applicable for different broadheads, and sometimes a mechanical is more applicable. I'm not saying they're the best. I'm not saying they're the worst. I'm just saying everything is not black and white. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Once again, spot on from my perspective. Um, number one, I agree with that scenario and your conclusion. But for me, um, it's all about shooting stuff that is the most accurate. Right. And whatever that combination is for me, front of center, you know, I've, I'll give you a couple of stories. One, um, when, when my wife was shooting, we we're shooting targets and she had 600 grain or 600 spine target arrows. And I had like four twenties or something. Right. Yeah. The, the classic Eastman Easton chart of spine, right. And tip weight. And I would go buy all that stuff. And I were sitting there shooting 70 meters and uh, I'm cutting some pretty good shots, but my my group was about the size of this this plate you got here in the middle of the table, right? I'm just thinking, man, my shots are I'm not a great shot, but it's better than that, right? The way I'm holding, she her draw length's just um, just a little bit shorter than mine, so I grab her arrows just for the sake of it, just for the heck of it, and I go, I'm just gonna load up and shoot six, mm-hmm. right? Just see what happens. She had six hundred gray or six. 600 spine, 70 green tips. No way should they shoot for me. Go out there and my group immediately goes like that. Yeah. Change, same day, same conditions, same target, same everything, right? Just change the arrow. That was it. Mm-hmm. So my, I start scratching my head. Fast forward, I'm going on a turkey hunt. I'm shooting 55, 75 gold tips. I get a new bow. I'm shooting it. I can't hit the block target at 40 yards with my mechanical muzzy three blades. Cannot. And I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh. I know I haven't shot in a while. This is going to be bad. I'm going to tell Jeremy, okay, call that thing in within 10 feet because I'm going <laughs> to hit it with my bow. Go go downstairs. Got some um, 340s, some 7595s. Cut them off. Shoot them. All of a sudden, I'm just right there. Yeah. I'm like, so the spine of an arrow you know, these are all starting places. All this information we're talking about, front of center, spine, blah, blah, blah. They're all starting places. Yeah. Fundamentally, you have to find the setup. You have to experiment, right? The, yeah. the Joe, Bob, Mr. Bob yeah. that doesn't know anything, here's the deal. The onus is on every one of us to understand how our equipment works. I remember trying to figure out on two cam bow. Which cable to turn to get the cams? Did ever do that? <laughs> Command cams. Oh, big, oh my big. god! No, I had the XI uh, oh, yeah. Legend bow, Velocity, whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, the, the, the Miles Keller Super yeah. Duper Whiz Bang, the coolest bow ever, right? <laughs> yeah. And I spent, I probably, I don't know, I pulled my hair out. Cables are stretching. Anyway, you know, you got to find this setup that's most accurate for you. And for me, that setup, I carry two two broadheads. I carry a mechanical and I carry a fixed blade. 
because there are different situations. I'm here to tell you there's no substitute for a big hole, period, yeah. right? You can put a big gash in them. They're just in two things, big hole and two holes. Go in one side, out the other side. Poke two holes in them, they're, they're going to be done in, yeah. in short order. Um, for a guy like me that's draw length challenged pound, like I shoot 64 pounds, 66 pounds on a good day. Right, and I don't have ape index. So if I'm shooting at something a little bit further away, I'll break out my my fixed blade broadhead. And that sounds counterintuitive. You'd bring out your expandable because it flies better. Mm -hmm. But I just don't have the kinetic energy. I've shot stuff where I didn't get through the other side. Yeah. And that's a bad day. I mean, it's it's just a bad day. So I will pick broadheads. I'll carry both in my quiver. And they both hit in the same spot. So I find the time to tune my stuff, find the broad heads, more importantly, that actually don't, I don't need to put a lot of energy into them. And they fly in the same spot as my field points, mechanical and fixed, and, uh, and fixed blade. Yeah. And Tim thinks I'm nuts. He's like, oh, you guys, suck. you know, you <laughs> idiots. I'm like, well, I can't shoot through something at distance with them, you know, over the top. Or, you know, I try to slip, slip cam broadheads. I'm not a fan of those just personally. Yeah. But each broadhead, each design has its uh, utility. And the mechanical is just inherently what are going to tune easier. So in the Bob case, yeah, give him a mechanical. Make sure he doesn't shoot it too far, depending on all those things. Yeah. Make sure you get two holes through it. No, for sure. I think um, the only reason I bring that up is um, I've... I think people hear sometimes what they want to hear on a podcast. It's like a, it's like an all you can eat buffet. They're going to grab what they want and they're going to, they don't like broccoli. They're going to leave broccoli. Oh, they don't like the fact that I mentioned this. So they're just not going to remember that later or, or Frank mentioned it or, or you or whatever. But you know, if, if uh, Dorothy's heading out and Dorothy's got a short draw and she, she needs to cut on contact head and, and probably have your arrow, right? It's how it is. And, and uh, I just think that um, there's a certain point, um, that for, for some people they should never cross, right? Most, you know, there's, you shouldn't ever shoot a mechanical at, um, you know, with the 370 grain arrow or whatever. There's a bunch of stuff like that, but, um, overall accuracy, good arrow flight, those are huge. Um, and then knowing kind of your limitations and Levi and I, Levi and I talked about that, uh, knowing the limitations, how far away you should be shooting when, you know, what, like you said, what broadhead should go in, um, in my case, it's totally and 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 I seem to remember that better than Gillingham. <laughs> yeah. Motherfucker's got a thirty-two inch draw shooting he's, seventy plus. It's pounds. thirty-three. Thirty-three. I mean, he's, I mean, he didn't have to worry about. Oh no, he's like he didn't worry in about AP that kill zones. And I'm like, dude, not everybody can shoot those. They suck momentum like it's their job. I love the broadhead. Oh, but I like the concept. I bought some and tried them. I'm like, nah. Not for me. <laughs> that shit could bounce off an animal. I see a new rage bounce off a 200-inch mule deer. He's heard the story, hit the rib cage. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. The guy went and read the package, like throwing an axe through an animal. There's Chuck. Chuck said it. Must be true, right? <laughs> Chuck didn't mention if your arrow's 360 grains and you're shooting 60 pounds, don't shoot these things, right? Yeah. Go ahead. So, no, <laughs> I, my, head's, my head's spinning because um, uh, I'll give you an example my – when I shot my sheep, I shot it with an expandable 40, I think it was like 40 yards, 42 yards, something like that. And had time to range it, boop, shoot it. And uh, it runs down the hill and dies. Great. So I go up to it in my 40 yards. So I'm shooting 64 pounds, right? Modern compound bow. My arrow weighs about 400 grains and 40 yards goes in. I duck, you know, got both lungs, but didn't come out the other side. Okay. And people, this is another thing people don't understand. 
when an animal's tense, because I bumped them, mm-hmm. you know, I told you earlier they were sitting there and blah, 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 and I finally bumped them. And uh, when it's kind of like trying to put a needle into a tense muscle. Ever see that? Yeah. Yeah. You cannot, right? You go to the nurse, like, hey, relax. I can't get the needle in your muscle because it's, if you do that, you just can't get it in. I actually got a story about stabbing myself in the bicep. <laughs> That's a detail. We won't go into that. But fundamentally, so if the animal's tense and you shoot at it, right, the, the, that muscle, you just flex your muscle. Feel how hard it is. It's hard to get a knife through there or anything sharp. So if the animal's tense, right, that's a different situation, cutting situation, laceration situation, mm-hmm. than if the animal's just relaxed, right? Yep. It's no different. So all these things about mechanical, the, the sheep I shot, I bumped and he was tense, right? Mm-hmm. So my my mechanical didn't go do, it killed it, but it didn't go all the way through it, right? right. My moose, I was using, have changed, completely changed my arrow setup, went to a 550 grain arrow, uh, fixed blade, broadhead, Shot completely through it, quartering away. I mean, I hit second, third of the last rib, and it came out the armpit. I mean, I shot through the damn thing long ways. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that was, I jumped him, but then he, he kind of, there was another moose in the area, so he just kind of relaxed and was looking around. And actually, he was ready to walk off when I shot. And so different, different muscle, uh, you know, um, uh, situation there. And you get... If you hunt enough, you're going to get enough situations if you pay attention to these small details and you start to piece together why this broadhead didn't go through and this one did. And other times I've shot clean through with an expandable broadhead, right? Just boom, all the way through the animal. No problem. Yeah. And, you know, Sean, his wife shot her sheep. It, it scored like 181. It's, it's a, a big ram. It was a toad, right? She's shooting her target bow at like, I want to say 47 pounds, ultralight 600 with the same broadhead I killed my sheep with, shoot it at 60 yards, and it almost shot through the animal. Yeah. Completely relaxed. That's the Grim Reaper one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so so I, I just get a kick out of people that are, are hell-bent in one camp, expandables, and versus the others. My humble opinion, there's a place for both. And, yeah. And you have to... When you when you hear stories about there's just too much going on just to to qualitatively just say yeah that's and a, that's that's, that's a the big result word. right have you ever even heard that word Frank what? qualitatively <laughs> no so I haven't either opposed to quantitatively but but anyway <laughs> <laughs> what did Luke say the other day ingenuity instead Luke of ingenuity uh, he, <laughs> the bevel hay barrel. Cabanshee crawl. He comes up with some shit. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. To Google that. Uh, but, uh, you know, you just can't take one, uh, one situation. It's like taking a, one phrase out of the Bible yeah. or anything, right? And then set, making it, uh, you're wrapping your whole world or your expectation or your conclusion around that. It's like taking one description of a shot with a broadhead and the guy says, that broadhead sucks, right? It didn't go through or whatever. You take that in isolation, it's probably not the whole story, Yeah. period. Well, and this guy and several others, there's no doubt um, a mechanical can fail. I've had, I've had one fail and Frank's had some fail, right? I mean, they can't. 
Um, they can open up in flight. Yeah, that, that, they can definitely <laughs> do it at day. 90 pounds. Yeah. yeah, It doesn't have to be 90 pounds. Yeah. It can happen on Kodiak <laughs> Island. I can hear it. I'm sure to tell you. I got a story about that. Uh, but that's the thing. Like, I think I prefer, I wish people would stay towards the heavier side of on the arrows for sure. And, and a good heavy point weight. I don't, you know, I don't get into the extreme FOC, but a heavy point, heavy arrow, sharp, broad head, good components. I agree with all of that, but it's not that black and white, especially with some people's setups. And again, with mine, you'd have a hard time telling me that I'm going to have penetration problems pumping out 108 pounds of kinetic energy <laughs> and, and, mo- and a yeah, lot right. of momentum, right? Right. And people go, well, you know, ethically killing animals at distance, man, if you've got that kind of kinetic energy, that's a different ball game than me starting off at 74 pounds kinetic energy, trying to shoot something at distance where it ends up being in the forties when it gets there. You're, you're at the 70. You're like, your setup when it reaches the animal is where I'm starting. <laughs> and I, I've tried to, <laughs> that's a t- people need to, you know, process that as well. I've shot through the chronograph at 70, 80, 90 and hundred. Uh, it does take some balls shooting a chronograph yeah, yeah, at hundred. Yeah. I will say 80 yeah. is a little easier. Yeah. 100, 80s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get ready to pay your buddy. Yeah. I owe you a range fund or a, yeah, or a yeah, chronograph, chrono. but you figure, um, with my, my one setup doing it, I was at 286 out of the bow with a 580 grain arrow. I was still at 256 at 100 yards. Yeah. That's pumping some with a with a 586 grain arrow. I'm going through whatever well, I here's want. Here's a detail. So I've been I've shot 100 grain broadheads like forever, right? And uh switched to 125s this year because I'm shooting the the iron well. Mm-hmm. And uh a lot of people don't talk about knock pinch that much, but if if you if it's you're in with devil. Him, it is the freaking <laughs> devil. Right. So I my bow right now, I've been setting up shooting. I got a little bit of knock pinch and I'm just quite frankly too damn lazy to get around to, to reserve it and all that stuff. It's like frick, I'm just gonna go with it. I put the wax and the you know on the string <laughs> yeah. so it comes and the knock comes off and on really nice. And um with these arrow rests that you lock up, mm-hmm. right, with the giant deep fork in it. Yeah. People don't realize how much knock pinch they have and that deep launcher keeps you from realizing that yeah well i'm drawing my bow back and i'm with my 100 grain tips and I'm, my arrow's kind of doing the knock pinch dance on the end it's not laying in the v right mm-hmm. i put the 125s on and the things in there the whole time yeah right and here's and that doesn't sound like hey andrew go fix your knock pinch yeah and i'll go do that <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> right. But the point is, all these things conspire either, tw- you know, in your favor or against you. Yeah. And a little bit heavier point weight, if you've got a little bit of knock point, uh, knock pinch problem, some of these arrow rests, you'll, some people don't even know what it is. Yeah. And they're wondering, why am I getting these flyers? Why am I not grouping like my buddy with the exact same setup? Yeah. And, um, so yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. I'm going a little bit heavier on the front end. It's I already see these small dividends, and you know, quite frankly, they grew better for me. Yeah, and I, I you know I'll say I shot like 175 up front of my compound total, um, or or a little more. Where with a stick bow, it's 250 or you know right, whatever. Right. But uh, I could. Right, and I'm not like Tim with a 33 inch draw. I'll just shoot more poundage. Right, right. I right. Mean, people are like, oh, you'll need shoulder surgery. Knock on wood. I got the shoulders of an 18 year old kid right now. But um, I just the shoulder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> knees not so much. Elbows bad. Uh, but it, you know, you, that's another thing trying to like uh, make people understand is 
uh, if people don't care about speed, that simplifies things, right? But most people do care about the speed of an arrow. And so there's going to be a point where, um, you know, Frank, what, 260, about as slow as you want to go normally. Um, That's what I'm at now, 260. But I got some super heavy arrows now. They're 560 grains or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's going to put a hurting on an animal. But some people are hung up around speed just like I was, you know, I was, you know, and then as I, as time went on, I really didn't care if, as long as I was between 260 and 280, mm-hmm. I really didn't give a shit. But, right. but that's with me shooting 80, 90 pounds. I can shoot whatever I want. You take somebody shooting 64. Yeah. I'm not going to preach extreme <laughs> fuck to you, right? right? I'm not going to say you need 300 grains up front because at your best scenario with 300 grains up front, your shit's still going to weigh 550, right? Um, and you may not need, I mean, you, you, well, 550 would even be on a good day. You may be going to hunt coos deer. I, I killed my coos deer a long ways away because I missed everything close, right? They just got out of the way. I mean, I told Frank, I had two peeps, right? I did something else. I'll get bashed over, right? I had a double, I had double peeps, oh, did right? Yeah. I had a peep out to a hundred and I had a peep past that. Mm-hmm. And everything I shot, bet- and you can tell me if I'm full of shit or what you think, cause you've shot them more. I only kill one and I don't want to go back. <laughs> I, everything between 38 and 60, I missed, right? They got out of the way. Oh, yeah. By a lot. Like had a sandwich, smoked a cigarette, looked anal- back, gave you, me a finger. Yeah. <laughs> you think antelope are fast. <laughs> Shoot at a coos deer. That's all I got to say. But the one I killed died eating. He died happy. Yeah. <laughs> Dropped right in him. Well, I'm not saying that you should shoot coos deer far away or whatever. I'm just saying for me, they didn't know I was there and I, and I, and I hit it. And, you know, you think about, um, you know, the different setups and speed. That is one time where I think with coos deer, I should have, I, I went with a super fast arrow. I wish I would have gone with a moderate arrow cause it made my bow loud. Yeah. And that was a big problem. You know, being honest, that was a big problem. I should have went with a decently speedy arrow and a decently heavy arrow and a quieter bow. You're young, yeah. you're dumb, you know. Yeah. Jesus, they heard that thing. Go, I mean, turn. <laughs> yeah. they did some shit with the leg up, kicking, hit the ground like Matrix. I've never seen – it was. I was like – I missed one by six feet, and we watched it on video. It was going right for it, and I bet that thing was six feet away, and this was at 42 yards before that arrow got to it. It was insane. Yeah, they're uh, – <laughs> people don't know. No, they're pretty – they're impressive animals, and – uh the guys down southwest part of the country that regularly get on them and knock them down, the, those guys are flat out some hunters. I'm here to tell you. Yeah, yeah I know a few of them, um, but they, they got my vote. <laughs> That's all I got to say. No, for sure. Well, man, we're going mother of Christ. We've been on for two hours. We should really? probably, yeah. We should, yeah, we <laughs> should probably. Um, people probably bored out of their skull. The, no, people like these things. Well, tell everybody where they can find you, Hamski. I, it depends on if you want to get your Insta-Google tweet face numbers up, but uh, Hamski, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll try it for the millennials. Uh, <laughs> now, we're at uh, www.hamskiarchery.com. Uh, you can find all our stuff there. You can go to our website, check us out. Um, and look at look at for us. So we have booths at all the ASAs uh, in Vegas, um, and you can just we love to talk to our people, like talk to any people. Um, it's good to be out there. We're archers, we're bow hunters. Um, that's what we do. That's who we are. Definitely, yeah. Definitely check them out. Watch some of the videos. I, I have to say the uh, the the leveling system is something that uh, I mean above and beyond. Obviously, the arrow rest being an amazing arrow rest, but check out the leveling system, which is something that'll make you turn your head and probably look back and think, oh. 
that's what happened because <laughs> it, it's yeah. one of those. Well, we just came out with the uh, last year the Insight Peep system yeah. with the the uh, anti glare baffling system. We just got awarded a patent on that. It was pretty cool. And then we uh, last year came out with the Raptor Peep, which is a hunting version of that, which really cuts down the glare. Yeah, I've got um, both of those. I like them both. Yeah, I might. Well, fuck you guys, because I got a recurve. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we can put <laughs> one in there. I keep telling you, <laughs> throw a Peep on there, man. Add we'll some just, wheels, you're yeah. good. Well, I'll get you two of them. You can put them in like speed balls, you know. Yeah, like no. <laughs> and one at each end. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, check us out. You know, we're in the we're, we are archery or bow hunting. Yeah, no, unbelievable products. And again, I, I still have one from a long time ago that my, is on my daughter's bow now. And I've beaten, I think that probably, that thing probably has 90 to 100 animals under its belt and it's still kicking. So that thing took a beating. But man, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, um, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Really, it. uh, it's an honor to be out here. You guys do cool stuff. Love your gear. Use it, all, use it all the time. Just use it yesterday or no, Saturday out hiking. So. Cool. Yeah. Well, man, no, we'll but, definitely. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I'd say I definitely want to get you on at the end of the season sure. and uh, hobnob shoot shit again and see how everything went. Yeah. Now about that four thousand cubic inch <laughs> backpack. We'll Maybe cover we that. Talk about that a little bit more. We'll cover that <laughs> at the end of this. Okay. Thing. Let's let's do that. <laughs> yeah, all right, thanks, right everybody. Thanks, man.